wherever you are, whenever you are, and however you happen to be listening, we're so glad you've chosen to tune in to DLC. Especially if you're one of our geeks and sneaks using this podcast to power you through a workout or a run. We're going to help the only way we know how, being in your ear holes for 90 plus minutes of gaming goodness, because DLC is your downloadable commentary for the week. Delivered the way we love it to be, and that is completely free. No sponsors today, but that's okay. We're trucking on through. DLC is the show all about gaming in its many forms. Games played on desktops, laptops, and consoles. Also games that involve dice, luck, and cardboard. I'm your host, Jeff Kanata. That's spelled with two N's and one T. And I am joined, as always, by my friend slash co-host slash nemesis. The guy who's always my best supporting actor. Mr. Christian Spicer. Hello, Christian. Yeah, I really, I, I, I thought it, I'd get lead. I'll be, I'll be honest. Like, if you compare the number of lines, like you have more, but mine are longer. Yeah, um, you know what? It's not, it's not a, it's not a judgment of your contribution. It's mm-hmm. just how supportive you are. Oh God, I'm you know very I mean? supportive. Very supportive. And by supportive, <laughs> I mean you undermine me at every turn. But uh, no, uh, I don't. <laughs> oh man, what a week! What a week! We got so much to talk about. We got Nintendo news, we got Microsoft news, and we got Microsoft Nintendo news. <laughs> We've got games uh, galore. Uh, it, the, the games are just raining from the heavens, huge games to talk about. And we have an awesome guest to do it with. You know, the DLC always stands for your downloadable Kanata and your downloadable Christian. But this week, oh man, I'm excited because DLC stands for donning a look that's curly. Because you know her from Wowhead and Blizzard and a whole bunch of other places, but you may not recognize her lately because she has a brand new curly do. It's our friend Olivia Grace joining us for the first time on the show. Olivia, welcome. Thank you so much. I was just listening, thinking, how is he going to shoehorn <laughs> my name with its complete absence of C's into the DLC model here? But, but you found a way. Well, you, and I'm very impressed. You very graciously uh, cut your hair just to make me have something that I can You know rhyme. what, Jack? You are welcome. You're welcome. <laughs> uh, we're excited to have you. Um, I Actually, before we even jump into the show... I was just wondering if I could get your take on the whole Blizzard Activision thing. Cause you know, we, we were going to have you on the show a couple of weeks ago. It didn't quite work out when that yeah. news was sort of hot and heavy, but I know as a former Blizzard employee and someone who's very tied into that community and esports in particular, um, you know, a lot of the layoffs that happened over there were the esports departments and all that stuff. I just, I'd love you to give your sort of, um, you know, 200 foot view of, of what you, what you think about all that. Yeah, absolutely. No, I mean, it's obviously, at the, at the, I think the top line, the sort of baseline thing is it's a really sad situation. I think it's, um, it's affecting a lot of personal friends of mine. It's affecting teams and, and, offerings of the company that I really care about. And I think it's sort of it's interesting to note that of the layoffs that at least, you know, caveat I am not the oracle of Blizzard here. I don't know absolutely everything that goes on. But all of the layoffs I've seen have been in what is traditionally considered the sort of ancillary or supporting roles, Mm -hmm. Um, not an Oscars pun, but they're the ones which are, you know, the the community managers, the publishing team, the esports team, the and so on and so forth right. so they're not really taking anyone anything away from the actual developers the actual you know game devs right. but i think it's you know i think it's 
it's a real shame. I think that's particularly sour when you hear about the earnings call and how they were doing this huge, they've had this most profitable year ever yet again. And I think to, honestly, if I, if I was trying to, trying to put myself in, in Bobby Kotick or Jay Allen Brack's shoes and sort of say, okay, what's driving this? Um, I think it's probably that they have really made it clear that there's going to be a big content dearth coming up. Mm-hmm. There's an, an absence of planned releases. There's an absence of planned games. So the only thing I can think of is that while it's, you know, this year that's behind us now has been a good year for Activision Blizzard, the year ahead is looking like perhaps a bit of a drought. And in those, in those situations, you know, you have to sort of shore up and, you know, maybe make some hard choices. And there's already been some hard choices being made with the, I think Jeff, you and I talked about this on another podcast with the changes to Heroes of the Storm. Yeah. Um, and I think that, you know, that we'll feel that shift even more deeply now as well with these cuts. Um, I think, you know, one of the things that really, that does bug me about it amongst the many things that bug me about that situation is that it sort of reinforces this notion of the non-essential staff. You know, the people who are not coders, not developers, not engineers, but are just as vital to the success of games as as everyone else in the company. And it sort of reinforces that divide. and, And it's a great shame. I think it's also, you know, it's hard Blizzard's historically been that one game dev house where you feel safe working there. Right. Like that was definitely something that people felt really strongly when I was at Blizzard before I started at Blizzard since I left Blizzard is that Blizzard was the safe one. Mm-hmm. Blizzard was the one where you, you know, felt confident and happy of your ongoing employment into the future. Right. And so this sort of thing, like I feel like it hits ex- extra hard for the employees who now you know, the, the ones who remain there are looking at empty chairs and wondering how much longer it will be before the next ones. And I, I really hope that there aren't more coming, but you never know. It's a really sad situation. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, not to belabor the point, but, uh, you know, you, you bring up this this uh, sort of perceived divide between the people making the games and the people uh, selling the games or promoting the games or interacting with the community of the games. And, you know, as someone yourself who was literally on that side at that company, do you feel, I mean, I, my perception from the outside looking in is that, you know, those people have a huge impact on the end user, right? Those people actually, we feel their presence. We, and we will, I think, feel their absence. And I wonder what your perspective is as somebody who is actually in that position at, at that company. Yeah. I mean, I think it's sort of from my side, there's a lot of the people who've, who've been lost are the people who were the bridge between the game devs and the end user. They're the people who you're talking to. They're the people who are communicating outwards. Um, and I think that it, it, particularly in an era where it is, it's seen as so necessary that game devs are communicating, are, you know, on Twitter, are on Reddit, are listening to the fans and really absorbing what they're saying and then taking that back to the game and sort of saying, Hey, look, you know, if you're a World of Warcraft, fan this one ability is really crappy right now let's sort it out and that, and that's the that's the work that's been lost as a result of this change and i think while you know there's no game that is now adrift and deaf to its community in any way shape or form now it's a lot of the people who've been kind of behind the scenes and behind the curtain are having to work out new ways to enact that communication because in some of the communities, at least the figureheads, the people with the most visible ones, which I mean, I don't need to tell you guys this, in community management, the most visible people are typically the most junior, um, but they're the ones who are, are, are no longer working at the company. So it's going to be a really interesting time for Blizzard to 
take those people who are a bit more behind the curtain and try and push them back into those really communicating roles. Yeah. And I hope that the community can show them some sympathy, honestly. There's been a lot of why this person and not this person floating around, which honestly, it's pretty horrible. It's not their fault, unless right, that person right. is Bobby Kotick, in which case it probably is. Yeah, yeah. His <laughs> $28 million a year, he's just, uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. happy with that. Diamond right, well, I appreciate I appreciate that. I think you give some interesting insight there, and I, I really didn't want to pass up the opportunity to ask you about it. So thank you. Uh, but let's we got stories that happened this week that we need to get to. So let's start the show the way we always do with Story of the Week. Story of the Week. It's the Story of the Week. Story of the Week. It's the Story of the Week. Story of the Week is the part of the show where we make our case for the most important stories that happened in the world of games this week. You can always submit stories for our consideration by sending us an email to dlcfeedback at gmail.com or by visiting our subreddit. That is 5x5dlc.reddit.com. Cool folks hanging out over there in the subreddit. So I encourage you to go visit and meet some people. Big, big stories this week. Uh, Olivia, you are our guest, so you get first pick of stories. What would you consider to be your story of the week? Oh, I actually, I think that my pick is going to be the Nintendo-only Nintendo news, the exclusively <laughs> Nintendo news that we've got here. That's that's my pick. And, and can I tell you why? Sure, it's please. My pick. Because the person stepping up into that position, surname is Bowser. <laughs> right. So we have we have the retirement of Reggie Fizame, who has been the uh, the Nintendo of America president for 15 years, over 15 years. Uh, really is the face of the company, at least for North Americans for sure. But I mean, I think globally too is a big part of the face of the company. Is a beloved figure by many players, and uh, we got his announcement of retirement. He stays in the job through April. But uh, we'll be retiring to spend more time with his family. And as you pointed out, it could not be scripted more beautifully that uh, his replacement is Bowser, Doug Bowser, uh, who joined the company only in May 2015. But you got to think that when your name is Bowser, you move up in a company real fast, <laughs> in Nintendo at least. Uh, so um, – uh, Olivia, do you have do you have affection for Reggie? There's been a lot of affection for Reggie within within players and, and the community. I actually know what. Funny enough, thinking talking about we've just spent some time talking about Blizzard. I kind of feel that there's a lot of parallels in Reggie's public persona and Mike Morheim's public personas. Mm -hmm. They're yeah. these like soft, gentle, lovable people, and you know, I, endearingly I think, awkward yeah, fellows. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, exactly. Like they sort of you know you don't feel like public speaking necessarily comes naturally to them. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and they just. They just seem like just wonderful, wonderful, happy, sweet humans who have everyone's best interests at heart. So I do. I have in the same sort of, you know, I want to make sure he's okay. And I want to make sure <laughs> you know, he's, he's nice and warm and he has a hanky and some <laughs> nice video I'm, games to watch. <laughs> I'm sure he's I'm sure he's great. He gets to retire at a very young age, uh, which is which is nice for him. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I think I think this is this has been an era of Nintendo that's had its ups and downs, right? This the the Reggie Fizeme era is a is one that has had its ups and downs. It's certainly at a at a high point now. He's going out, you know, riding high for sure with the Switch and and um, Nintendo really sort of uh, you know working on all cylinders here. Um, I don't know much about about Doug Bowser other than the fact that his last name is is extremely appropriate. I guess there was a a, a classic Reggie uh, 
video from years ago where he got destroyed by Bowser, which is making its rounds again, which is really fun to see that Bowser literally, uh, you know, usurps his position in this video. And it was a sort of telling, uh, Christian, do you have, do you have fondness for the Reggie fils era? And are you, are you sad to see him retire? Yeah, I've, I maybe have said all of 10 words to him in person ever in like the 10 plus years I've been doing E3 while he's there. And it's always been like me walking around Nintendo's booth and then he sneaks up behind somebody and you're like, how, how do you, he's like, how do you like, I'm like, it's good. Oh God, that was Reggie. Like that's the extent of my personal relationship with him. Yeah, he's a really large dude and he's, he sort, of, he's sort of this big uh, bear kind of fella, you know, this, this big lovable, uh, you know, I don't want to say oaf because that, that has a negative connotation, but he's, you know, he's a big, big lovable guy and, uh, you know, very um, affable and, and approachable. And uh, yeah, I mean, I, I understand why people have liked him so much. I think his uh, part of his uh, uh, press release sums him up very well, where it's, uh, as I look forward to departing in both good health and good humor, this is not game over for me but instead leveling up to more time with my wife family and friends like that is so charming and so incredibly cheesy like if someone that'd be like what your you know in-laws say to you like oh you like video games well don't worry this dinner's not game over we're leveling up with pie that's the birthday (laughs) card that you get from the grandma that knows you like video games like congratulations on leveling up another year i put in a quarter to your card and you know yeah, uh, and that's also all the money I'm giving you. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, he's, yeah. He's, he's he's reigned over hits, right? He reigned over sure. the Wii and the Switch, and only, those are the only two consoles that he was in charge for. I think and, that's wrong. I think there, there was, was one it, in between no, there. It went <laughs> Wii, there's one you're forgetting. It went Wii to Switch. There was no Wii U in the middle where Nintendo got mad at me and uh, was like, "What are you do- doing talking about our Wii U? It's going to be a hit." That never I, existed. I think he also uh, he also made a, a handheld console that uh, featured 3d as one of its major major calling cards uh and then oh, quickly... 3DS ga- uh, that's a hit so another hit yep mm-hmm. he kicks ass <laughs> and takes names or whatever he said uh yeah only hits i can't think you and i cannot think of any console that he was mm-hmm. around for that was not a hit all right well I, all right um <laughs> Yeah, I mean, he has had an uneven, you know, with any company, there's going to be ups and downs. And there has been ups and downs with Nintendo over the last year there, you know, before the Wii, there was talk of, uh, you know, Nintendo maybe should go the way of Sega and stop making hardware, uh, which is ironic for another story that we'll be talking about today. Uh, But, um, you know, it's it's amazing. He during his tenure, they have really become an undisputed hardware giant and and nobody suggests that nintendo doesn't make hardware anymore uh because they do things that are so interesting and so different the wii was such an expansion of what the audience of video games was thought to be switch is doing such cool things and is really you know selling so well so yeah i mean i think he's smart to go out on a high note and uh we, we're sad to see him go he, he is I think a positive icon for the industry and somebody that people really associate with uh, very good feelings and, and, a, and a kind of a wholesome, lovely message that's very Nintendo. And it remains to be seen how Doug Bowser follows that up and what kind of how public facing he is, how much he'll, you know, Reggie was very front and center in all the videos and all the messaging. It'd be interesting if, if Doug Bowser handles it that way. 
Yeah, I think it's sort of, I think just one thing we're just talking about the same situation of Mike and Reggie being very similar. And, you know, I, I wonder if there's any fear of like what happens next for Nintendo now that this sort of delightful soft Mike Morheim protector person is out of the way. Yeah. And, and you know, it makes me, makes me personally wonder if I think a lot of people thought that Mike was the person that's protecting Blizzard from the Activision monster. And while there is no Activision monster in Nintendo's case so much. Right, but they may have been. <laughs> yeah, maybe there was. Maybe there was. Maybe the person who invented the Wii U was that person. Never but, heard of it. What is it? <laughs> oh, no, it's this It's this thing made by... Uh, uh, just, it was, it's like a Dreamcast. Oh, got it, got it, got it. Love it. I love it. Oh, I got to buy one. Well, <laughs> if we're, if we're going to follow that analogy to its logical conclusion, I mean... I don't want to throw Jalen Brack under the under the bus here, but certainly he does not have that quality, or at least it hasn't he hasn't demonstrated that quality yet that Mike Morhanheim had, which is lovable fan favorite, you know, yeah. stirring, you know, family sort of um, uh, oration at BlizzCon. I mean, Jalen Brack is is. I think uh, kind of the opposite of all that stuff, <laughs> which is sad. Uh, maybe is. he'll find his own way, and I hope certainly yeah. he does. But it'll be interesting to see if that's the case with Doug Bowser as well. Like, he's, is, yeah. is he going to try to be Reggie in, in a new way, or is he going to carve his own path and try something else? So, Steal some princesses, sense. break some blocks, that kind of thing. Yeah, he's going to have to be the antihero. That's the only, <laughs> yeah. that's the only logical. Well, I, I I should announce this now. It seems like the right time. I'm. Um, Changing my name to Christian Wario, and <laughs> I'm really looking forward to becoming the next SVP of Nintendo of America. I'm, you know, like 15 years from now. But um. the best joke I saw on Twitter was Ify Nawadaway, who's a friend of the show. Uh, he tweeted out that uh, uh, he's fully expecting Sony to promote George Crush Bandicoot, which I thought was a pretty great, pretty great joke. I, 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 I love Ify. So Ify, also hi. Uh, you should be on here again, but it should be, it needs to be Crash's bad guy. I know, but it's funnier because Crash Bandicoot is such a awkward, it's funnier. It's funny. And and who's Crash Bandicoot's bad guy? You don't know. Of course not. No. No. Yeah. All right. Uh, moving on. Uh, Christian, what is your story of the week? Uh, my apology to Ify that I'm giving tomorrow. Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, it's, it's gotta be. If, if, if it's my story of the week and this sets us up perfectly because I know what yours will be, Jeff. Mine has to be the future coming to switch via microsoft's x cloud they're much it's not even rumored talked about but scantily detailed uh or, or com- confirmed detailed at this point streaming service that is going to be uh rumored to be similar to google's project cloud which it looks like we'll be hearing all about uh, march 15th at gdc and it is streaming software your xbox games powering their scarlet you know, the next generation of Xbox or whatever their thing is. It looks like this might be part of the Xbox Live coming to switch rumors and discussions we heard about. And, and then these rumors run the gamut, right? So there's like some some things that are maybe facts or something like that. And then everything else is like Game Pass is coming and you'll be able to stream every Game Pass game. Halo to on switch. switch. Halo on Switch. And Halo's, yeah. Halo Gears or Forza or all are coming to Switch. And you know, don't get me wrong. I'm not one to put the cart in front of the horse, but I want it. I want it. I want it. I yeah. want it. I want it. And if the tech is there, which the Switch did stream Assassin's Creed Odyssey, I believe in Japan, Resident Evil 7 in Japan were done like the streaming cloud version yeah, kind of thing. Right. So, and if Microsoft says that they've, they've solved for the latency and then project um, stream from Google, 
worked flawlessly for me. I I don't know if this rumor is true, but I believe that this technology is there and possible. And Microsoft and Nintendo seem like fast friends now, right, Olivia? Like Minecraft and all their their commercial together, they they seem like good buddies. Yeah, it's really interesting to see this. And I, I kind of as a as a PlayStation loyalist, I'm a little nervous about this. <laughs> I'm sort of you know I think it's I I own a Switch. I love the Switch. I play all the games again, but on the Switch, I don't I don't even know how much more money I have put in the delightful Reggie's pocket by rebuying games <laughs> just because they launch on the Switch. But I think this is really interesting. They're sort of you know the the notion, and I, I really welcome the notion of the cross console divides disappearing. Um, I do wonder with the sort of relative power of the systems, what the actual experience is going to be like. But I, I'm really, I'm really excited to see them moving in this direction because of not only play, me buying the game again fewer times, but also <laughs> because of you know the other things that come with this sort of like allegiance or alliance of the the big big hardware people is things like what if what if the next time the next thing down the pipe is actually um safety controls so like if you are a bad behaving person maybe you're going to get a slapped wrist on multiple different platforms yeah or something yeah. along those lines you know they've been working together the um i can't remember the name of this the oh gaming for everyone which is microsoft sort of initiative around that um is already going in that direction and maybe we're sort of moving now towards a future if sony can get on board already please um then maybe there's some kind of outcome here which is a holistic notion of consoles and maybe they don't have to be split anymore i'm really excited yeah yeah i mean there's we gotta like sort of shout out the old school like dennis dyack one console future thing where it's like maybe this is how that happens right uh where you have exactly what you're talking about olivia that you have a convergence of uh, video games on things. You, you have uh, basically Microsoft saying we're Netflix, right? We are, we don't care. Netflix doesn't care what you watch Netflix on. It, it, Microsoft is like, well, well, we'll put out the hardware for you to watch it on or play it on this, but we're also happy at being on anything. And they have straight up said, we want Xbox Game Pass to be on everything. They want it to be on your phone. They want it to be on your Xbox. They want it to be on your TV. What? What? But the actual, uh, you know, end result of that is put it on other people's consoles. Put it on Sony. Put it on Nintendo if they'll allow it. And it sounds like Nintendo is keen to make those kinds of deals. It's a, it sounds like a win-win to me. And it's ironic, as I kind of was foreshadowing this in the last story, it's ironic to think that everybody, for years and years and years, the rumors were, oh, Microsoft is going to buy Nintendo, right? Is it, Nintendo's going to stop making hardware. They're just going to be a software developer. Microsoft has the cash on hand. They can buy Nintendo. Or Nintendo can just become Sega and just be multi-platform and just focus on what they're amazing at, which is creating great games and not worry about hardware. And they can just put it out and you can have Mario on an Xbox. It's no problem. It's so funny that the inverse of that is happening. <laughs> and Nintendo's hardware is what's enduring. And Microsoft is going, we kind of don't care about the hardware anymore. We just want to be the people you pay every month to play games. And so I think all that's of the future though. I really right? like hardware yeah, margins right? seem slim. It seems like high uh, R and D costs. And I guess as streaming 
assuming streaming becomes the future, a lot of that doesn't become, you don't need the high powered silicon chips, you know, driving the the device per se. It can just be a black mirror <laughs> uh, that you're, you're playing the game on. But that subscription service, that, that service, everything, right? America is a service industry economy <laughs> in gaming and, and our entertainment is just taking that to the next level with any way they can getting that recurring payment that they can rely on month after month after month. Uh, Jake's 32 in the chat says, we'll be paying $200 a month to subscribe, to subscribe to all of the streaming platforms of Sony, Microsoft, Nintendo, Ubisoft, EA, Activision, and Square Enix, which yeah, maybe that is a potential dark side of this, but it's already happening in the media side, right? You've already got your HBO goes and your Showtimes and your Netflix and your Hulu and, you know, and you have to sort of make decisions there. You end up spending as much as you would on a big cable package to have all of those, uh, you know, bespoke <laughs> a la carte services. Uh, so I think that's analogous to what's happening here. And I don't know if that's bad or if, if it's good. If you have a situation where Nintendo goes, hey, from our perspective, what we can do is we can create awesome hardware. We can make some money on the hardware. And uh, Microsoft will put their games on our service. And we can also have exclusive games on our service that we make. Certainly makes Nintendo's uh, hardware platform to be pretty attractive to people. Seems like a win from their perspective. And as you said, Christian, from Microsoft's perspective, this is the future. They want to be Netflix. They want to be platform agnostic and sell it to many more customers than they could possibly sell Xboxes to. I don't I don't see how there's a downside from a consumer perspective other than this like stacking subscription idea, which may end up being pretty expensive. But for now, 10 bucks a month is a pretty darn good deal for Game Pass. And if I can play it on my Switch, all the better. Yeah, totally. I think it's, you know, it's really fascinating to see it moving in this direction overall. I, I'm just super psyched for Cuphead on my Switch. Although <laughs> although it did make me Frisbee a controller at one point. So maybe Frisbeeing a Switch is a, a more bad expensive. idea. Yeah, a Shade more expensive. More expensive. <laughs> but yeah, I think it's really fascinating. I think from the consumer perspective, I guess one sort of potential downside is that sort of 10 cent future. You know, if it, it, mm. if they're moving in that direction of owning that monopoly and kind of taking over the market by being the biggest player in the space. I think from a consumer perspective, if this, if this is highly damaging to Sony, Sony's already started losing its exclusives to PS4 and they're becoming fewer and fewer. Maybe the day of the PS4 exclusive is kind of behind us. Maybe this is the future now. And it's sort of, it, it, it moves towards a more monopolistic situation, which overall isn't super awesome for consumers. That right. said, I too will be, I, I own an, I own an X-Bone. I haven't switched it on for probably two years. It's basically a really expensive stand for my PlayStation. And so, <laughs> but I will be reactivating the Game Pass because my God, I will play everything on the Switch. Right, right. Yeah, and I, and I think as you point out, it puts some pressure on Sony, right? This, uh, I will be shocked if we don't see some version of the PlayStation Network or PlayStation Now or some either variation of a service they already have or some new service that directly competes in this way with the game pass. Um, I mean, they already have shades of it, but I think this is where we're, we're headed is these uh, you know, these Netflix like services, especially as Christian has pointed out for years, when the streaming side of it makes buying the hardware sort of um, 
trivial. You know, you get you get a a fifty dollar box that can just stream the games. It doesn't have to actually process the graphics locally. You get like a, you know your your thirty nine ninety nine or your forty nine ninety nine little hockey puck that you plug into your um to your TV the way you have a you know a a Google Chrome what are they what is it called Chromecast Chromecast, Chromecast yeah or you know those kinds of things a Roku etc. Uh, I, I, it makes a lot of sense. It makes a lot of sense. I've been clinging on to my, you know, locally rendered pixels, uh, with, you know, with my white knuckles, not wanting to let go, but I, you know, it certainly makes a lot of sense. Have you tried a steam link? I have, uh, and I've tried, I tried, uh, the new Google service, which I guess we're going to get an official announcement of what that's going to be at GDC in just a couple of weeks. Um, so, you know, I, I have not been disappointed by these things. I think they are, they've, they've arrived, you know, they, they are useful, but I'm just old school enough that I like, you know, cranking my graphic settings and rendering it all locally <laughs> and feeling like it's all, you know, happening. I don't have to worry about any kind of. Look, I, I don't even, I don't even use wireless keyboards or mice or headsets. Or <laughs> You're hardcore. I'm yeah. Hardcore. I get it. I get it. I, I, that's, that's in my bones too, man. I don't, I don't. I mean, we've said this before, but we'll I'll, I'll we'll say it again now. What was the last 4K uh, movie you bought, Jeff? Right. No, I don't. I don't put Blu-rays in to my system. I I watch Netflix. I watch uh, Amazon Prime streaming. I, I I get it. I pay extra for the 4K uh, <laughs> service of those, but like I feel a little dumb because it does look better. But I know it's not actually 4K. I know it's compressed and you know over the air. So I don't. I'm curious to see where this goes, and I think I'm having this thought now a little bit, but the music industry hasn't quite gone the same way that um, TV has, TV providers, where like, yes, there's Tidal and Spotify and, and Apple Music, and they kind of get some exclusives, like Taylor Swift will come out here first, and then it'll come to this, or Kanye's here first, and then this. That was but the whole the- Tidal thing, wasn't it? Yeah, uh, and it's still around, and they kind of still launch some things that way. Uh, and also Lossless was a big thing for Tidal, I think it was a higher quality stream, which people don't care about enough because we just listen with our little white earbuds. Um, But I think it's interesting that in music, you can pretty much get almost anything on either of the big services. And I don't know about YouTube music, but I imagine it has most stuff as well. But TV, things have really fragmented, right? Where it's CBS, um, digital or whatever there's, it's called All Access, DC, Netflix, Hulu, HBO. Everybody, everybody. Right, everybody wants their own thing. And so you have all of these different services. Whereas music, I pay one service a month and I get everything. And I'm curious if for gaming, if it will kind of go the TV model, uh, the way uh, I think it was Jake in the chat suggested it's $200 a month, or if it ends up maybe going more toward three big players or two big players where you kind of have everything set up. And I'm not sure... Um, Olivia, if you have like a preference one way or the other, is like a monopoly or too big. Was an oligopoly? What is it when you have a couple? Uh, <laughs> Several companies. I don't. Yeah, I is can't that remember better, the word. Or is it better <laughs> to have like the Ubisoft streaming the like every major publisher? So you have like twenty five streaming services, yeah. and you can play them all on any device. But you got your CBS All Access, your DC, your whatever, whatever, whatever. Like, what's the better hypothetical idea <laughs> ideal of our future? Yeah, I think it's a really interesting question. I think there's, you know, inevitably it's pros and cons to both. But from my perspective, I'm a really big fan of competition. Like if we look at a less related because it's not online streaming service, but look at ISPs. Um, you know, ISPs in the US are a really like wonderful study 
on what the what's the problem with monopolies. Yeah. And there's no in several parts of the US. I, I you know forgive me. I'm new to this country relatively, so I have very limited experience with this. But where I lived in SoCal when I was working for Blizzard, it was um, Cox, Cox. Cox or Cox, and that was your choices. So then, you know, when I when I had a problem with my internet, I pick up the phone and I call Cox, and they basically say, "Well, good luck with that, ma'am." And that's that's a really crappy situation. And I really hope that the the monopoly approach is the risk of it is that it's there's no need to compete. And when you go back to the sort of streaming space. Um, in the UK for a long time, there was this company called Sky, which was trying to break in and sort of diversify. The BBC was the big behemoth of television content creation. And then other ones started coming along, Channel 4, ITV, and then Sky was, it's kind of like a cable company, I guess, but they were making their own shows and they were making their own content. And they were bringing stuff in from other countries. And all of a sudden, the BBC really had to up its game. It had to improve the quality of what it was making. The BBC went from being sort of, you know, basically cheap special effects like old Doctor Who or similar. And then they evolved and they were pushed up by the competition. And so I think that, you know, a small number of competing groups is the absolute best outcome here. Like maybe there's, you know, if we look at right now, the sort of environment for launches where you've got Steam, which is obviously the behemoth. And then you've got, you know, Epic is kind of coming along with the better costs and the better things. Discord is there. And so maybe if we look at it like that, if we can have a similar environment where there aren't too many competing players, and there's obviously a similar thing for launches where you've got the ones which people are like, oh God, I guess I'll use it. Um, Not to name any names, obviously, but maybe those ones will die out and we'll sort of start seeing the big players really rise to the top. And I do think a high tide raises all ships is appropriate when it comes to quality, when it comes to customer support, when it comes to caring about the player base. Yeah. Well, it's going to be interesting to see, I think by 2020 as the, that new, whatever that Xbox is, or that, that sort of streaming Xbox by 2020, I think we're really going to see this be the mainstream of gaming and really where a lot of these companies are pushing. And by that point, I'm, I'm certain we're going to see more players in this in this game, and and uh, it's going to be hot and heavy and uh, very interesting to watch for sure. Speaking of interesting to watch, we've so uh, we've got the story of the week that was all Nintendo. We got the story of the week that was Nintendo slash uh, Microsoft, and now we're going all Microsoft. <laughs> we got the announcement of Hololens two, which has to be my story of the week. Uh, I was very excited. I woke up. Sunday morning, uh, watched the stream in its entirety from Mobile World Congress, where Microsoft debuted the new version of the HoloLens. And while this isn't a strictly gaming story, uh, it does have gaming tendrils, and uh, it's got me excited. It certainly is interesting how Microsoft is positioning HoloLens and has positioned HoloLens. I think when Holo, the first HoloLens was sort of... Uh, coming out and 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 formulating there was a lot of talk within microsoft that it was going to be a gaming peripheral that it was maybe even going to ship with xbox one uh and a satya nadella saw that and really decided that it that wasn't the direction that if if uh, mixed reality was going to work they needed to make it applicable to more than just games and uh, that he really saw that as an opportunity for the company. And so you saw HoloLens sort of have this weird dev launch, this sort of enterprise launch. And with the announcement of HoloLens 2, they're, they've doubled down on that. It is all about enterprise. It's all about uh, augmented reality, mixed reality, 
as a learning tool, as a way to help industry in uh, educating new employees or uh, increasing productivity in really interesting ways. But also, you know, about two thirds of the way through the presentation, Tim Sweeney, the CEO of Epic Games, came out on stage and said, hey, we're super excited about HoloLens 2. We're going to be supporting it in a big way. It's an open platform with an open uh, app store. We're going to be in a big way. We don't have anything to announce right now, but we're going to be you know, supporting it. So clearly HoloLens 2 will also have games on it, but it's really not a consumer-facing product. You can tell that because... It's $3,500. Oh, crap. I already bought one. What? What is it? I, yeah, I was tempted, but then I saw the price and was like, okay. They also offer it at $125 a month. So if you want to pay rent on your uh, HoloLens too. Well, how much can. are you paying on TV services? You know, just cancel 10 of those. And, there you uh, go. There you go. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but, but all of that is, I think, secondary for me in just how excited I am about the tech because it, it really feels to me like a preview of what we're going to get as a consumer grade product in the next two to three years um, from other companies, maybe from Microsoft themselves, this really feels like the next step. And, you know, Christian and I, we talked about uh, magic leap recently. We both got a chance to try that. This feels like it's incorporating a lot of those things. Certainly the stage demo of the mobile world Congress re- reveal uh, made it seem like everything was running very, very smoothly. I don't know. I haven't tested it myself. But I'm excited, guys. So here's let's let's break down what Hololens Two is, and then I'll ask you guys what you think. It uh, mixed reality had said that puts holograms, uh, what they're calling holograms, or you know, video graphics into the real world, overlaying on the real world. It's a uh, a new they say more comfortable headset. They say three times as comfortable. I don't know how you measure comfortable and a metric that can, you can apply math to, but okay, three times as comfortable. They, it's it's balanced. It's supposedly much more comfortable. It's not tethered to anything. It's completely self-contained unit. It tracks your hands even down to your fingers. All of the uh, interface is your hand track. You pinch things, you move things, you grab stuff, you touch holograms in space, move them around. Very, very cool. When we tested the Magic Leap, it had a little remote control. It's really cool that this doesn't require that. It has. It, you just uses your hands. You just reach out and touch stuff. I'm into that. Uh, it seems very snappy. They showed a really cool application where you can sort of teleconference with other people and a, an avatar that's been constructed from a 2D photo of them will wander around your space as they move and it will track their hands and arms and, and lip sync with their mouths. And so you can sort of have a virtual hologram discussion with somebody like something out of Star Wars. All of these things look really cool. Again, they didn't show any games. They showed a lot of you know, helping plumbers plum, <laughs> helping, you know, uh, doctors, uh, practice medicine, helping industry do things. But I'm certainly excited about gaming applications, and I'm certainly excited about where this leads us. What do you think, Olivia? Did you get a chance to see any of the presentation, and are you are you excited for what mixed reality has in store for us? Yeah, I am super excited about this. I think like my, my kind of gut reaction seems really, really similar to yours, Jeff, I'm just like, oh my god, this is so cool. This is so cool. This thing is so cool. And I think it's what what's uh, the feeling I get when I sort of calm down from how cool the thing was is sort of, I feel like they've got this technology, which has considerable applications in the military. It's uh, a, 
a good friend of mine is uh, runs the AR development team for the UK's Royal Air Force, where they are basically training helicopter pilots and augmenting reality for helicopter pilots in combat situations. Mm-hmm. So they have, you know, heads up displays, which are all handled with AR. They have, you know, inbound fire tracking. They have all manner of really, really cool stuff. And I'm sure that I just happen to know a lot about that specific implementation. I'm sure it's far from the only one. But I feel like they've got this tech and they brought it, they've brought it into this incredibly slick looking headset. And now they're kind of trying to figure out what to do with it. And so they right, sort of, yeah. they've got the hand tracking, they've got the minority report vibe they've got the meetings with the created avatars and i do think that there's a ton of cool gaming implementations here and i'm really really excited to see what those are because i feel like the for vr i think it makes a ton of sense it's a full screen it's a full effectively a reality takeover if you will and this one it's sort of it's the reality blend it's reality mix that i think is really challenging my immediate thought of like what okay olivia what would i put on it and i want to hear what you guys would put on it if you were building games for it um, I would put immediately Pokemon Go. Like Pokemon mm, Go right. to me is just like, boom, makes sense. Already AR implementation, super successful. It's fun. And I would 100% put that on this platform. But I, I'm having a bit of a hard time beyond someone in chat says Minecraft. And I'm like, yeah, Jake said 32 probably Jake Z. Jake Z32 says Minecraft. And I'm just like, yeah, totally. I can see Minecraft as well. But I'm, I'm not sure what other games make sense in this, on this platform. So I'm super curious what you guys think. Well, you know, the the first iteration of all of these is the like you're in your living room and uh, things start crawling out of the walls. You know, there's always that game in AR where it's like you're in the space that you're actually in and then a portal opens up in the wall and something crawls out. And and that's really cool. You know, that's a cool idea. It only goes so far, right? There's only so many of those yeah. you can do and, and, and then you're, um, you know, you're a little redundant. But you're right. I think the the thing we're already seeing with augmented reality, which is the idea of like get out in the world, do something, go places, and then have stuff layered on top of it that you can discover. I mean, I'm a big geocacher. I like geocaching as a hobby, which is very analog in a lot of ways. You know, it's literally people hiding stuff in, you know, trunks of trees and things. But I can imagine a digital version of that that would be really super fun. Like somebody says, you know, go to this spot and we've converted it into something or your living room. We've converted into a, uh, you know, an escape room or some kind of cool puzzle situation where there's stuff hidden in your house, but it's digitally hidden. You know, that kind of thing sounds really interesting and cool. Uh, Christian, what about you? Yeah, I, mean, I think to answer the question directly, I think there, you might see games um, that instead of requiring a console, you need to have a, t- a table of a certain length and width or something like that, mm-hmm. like a minimum spec table. And then you can play board games like flick em up uh, or any type of, of board game or uh, Moss, a game like that where it's, you know, it lives on this table, this flat plane, but then you're able to walk around and interact with it or even um, Astrobot or something like that, where it's in your world still, but you set it on this open space in any open space, you know, you can play with that and it, and it reacts. And I think, Eventually, the tech can become aware of its surroundings. So, if you're on a, if you're playing it on a table, um, your little astrobot reacts one way. But if you're out in the field playing it, you know maybe she walks a li- like picks up her feet a little bit more or something like that as it kind of climbs through the grass because it knows grass is there. But I think the un- <laughs> indirect answer to this question, but the one I think will happen first, is the games that I would make for this and that will come out are the gamification of everything. 
It's yeah. Everything yeah. is now a game, whether it, you know, it's like you're trying on clothes and it's like 10 points, you know, that looks great. A- everything is going to be gamified yeah. in some form or fashion. Organize when you're able your fridge, to- the game. Ah, yes. <laughs> yes. You have the heads yeah. up display, getting that constant reward, your tasks, doing things, this, that, or the other, like cleaning your bathroom as a game, like for real, like it can scan and see you where you haven't scrubbed yet and you're wiping away the creepy crawlies or whatever it is. I think the the possibilities for that are, are, are um, pretty profound. Yeah. yeah and I mean, uh, this, I think Christian, you, you tried HoloLens one, right? At, at an E3. Yeah. I mean, when, like, five years ago, whenever that was, and it was awesome at the time, very limited field of view. But I remember when I saw Master Chief, I was like, I want it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's very impressive. Again, it was a sort of postage stamp field of view this they tout as being double the field of view which i'm still worried and I'm, I'm worried is still smaller than one would hope um but i it remains to be seen i really want i really want to get my face on this thing and and try it uh i was i was hovering over the the buy button and, until they were like thirty five hundred dollars i was like yeah. that's not for me um but uh I, I i'm super excited about this tech and i'm i'm definitely more thrilled about as you as you said olivia the the sort of replacement of reality in full vr as far as gaming goes because i want to feel like i'm in a completely foreign place a completely new place and that's exciting to me but the stuff that this is going to allow for and the the ways in which we're going to learn things and do things it, it feels like the future and um it feels like the future is is here uh, yeah. which is pretty wild yeah, totally. I mean, I think it's such. Sorry, I cut you off there. I'm, no, 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 excited. I'm just, I, I'm just so excited for what people who were way more creative than me are doing with this. Like people who were like, you know, I'm not a very creative person, but I think it's just the people who are. I was just like th- listening to to Christian talk and just thinking like, oh my god. D&D maps on a table, yes. like yeah. Dungeons and Dragons with, you know, the furbolgs are real now. And I can see my eternal like lizard people and tieflings that I love so right. much, like actually yeah. brought, writ large. That would be amazing. Someone call Wizards of the Coast and get them a headset right now. Well, but- somebody's definitely going to make whatever the, that game, I can't remember the name of the game that they're playing in the Millennium Falcon, right? That, oh, uh, yeah. Sector 7 in the chat said Battle Chess. That seems like a no-brainer. Yeah, all that <laughs> stuff. All that stuff. Get on it. Get on it, designers. But um, I guess first we need this to be a you know consumer-grade product that is relatively affordable and not, you know, in the stratosphere. Uh, okay. Well, I'm excited. I'm excited. Um, let's talk about the games we have been playing and move on to the playlist. Olivia, I see that you have played a game, uh, or, and you say again, that uh, so many people vehemently recommended to me that just uh, stridently fought for and said, you have to play the last year. You have to play, have to play, have to play it. I did not fall in love with it. I don't think I gave it a fair shake, but near automata automata. I'm not sure how to pronounce it. Uh, you seem to love, right? You like it. Yeah, I do. I actually, I heard you say that and I was like, oh no, is that how you say it? Have I been saying it wrong all of this time? I'm not clear on how, you, how it's pronounced. No, I, I went with auto, a, a sort of a variation on, on automaton and I now realize that maybe that's how I say automaton and that's not how everyone else says it, but who knows. <laughs> but yeah, I've, I am a big fan of the game. I think it took me a little while to to, to love it. Like I think it's the, the early stages of that game are 
blend of frustrating and boring, mm. which is, is not the most delightful way to start to start diving into any game. But once you get sort of into the world and start really engaging with the world, and once you've once you finish your first playthrough, it seems like a ridiculous thing to say. Once you finish your first playthrough, this game gets better and better. Um, it, it's definitely true of this one. I I am definitely among the, the people who... I, I started playing it a bit later than everyone else. And I was one of those people who's trying to push it on to other people, like, you know, knocking on their doors, like, have you heard about our Lord and Savior 2B? And just trying to get people on board and playing this game. So I wanted to talk to people about it. Mm-hmm. And it's a really amazing story, really amazing world once you're I think there's 25 endings. Um, 27 think- is where they say how they pronounce the name. It's a secret one. <laughs> <laughs> I would have, I would not be surprised to hear that. Um, but they, there's, I think there's 25 or I'm not sure exactly how many endings, but the, the first playthrough, the third playthrough are both just incredible and it gets deeper and deeper and richer and richer. I don't know. I'm, it's just such a cool game. I love it. Yeah. I, I, was one of those games where I feel like I'm missing out because um, I played, I don't know, a few hours of it. And I thought it was clever the way it sort of transitions seamlessly between genres, you know, becomes like this bullet hell shooter and then a third person action game and then sort of a role playing game. And um, I, I was into it, but it, I don't know. I, I got to that open world area and it felt kind of sparse and a little, mm. uh, I don't know. I just kind of lost interest. I think there was a lot of other stuff going on and I was trying to force myself to play it and I just yeah. wandered away. The quest flow on the first playthrough is super weird. Like I think that they have this sort of, they have this zone type quest flow and it, it's, you have to do a lot of running to get from an exciting thing to exciting thing to from engaging thing to engaging thing. Um, and that definitely isn't in its favor. That's kind of where I was like on, on the sort of line between frustrating and boring, where getting lost and being unable to find things, trying to figure out what exactly they mean by this thing and realizing that you have to actually run what feels like off the map to a whole other city. Like we, we've all played RPGs and they have patterns of how you, you know, slowly spiral out from a quest hub. And this game, I kind of didn't Google RPG questing pattern. <laughs> <laughs> You know, they just kind of went with it. And it's it's actually the, I, I think I've done uh, 13 endings on PC. Wow. And I'm just jumping into it on PS4 now to start all over again. Um, and the world gets richer every time. It's sort of like each ending adds another layer to the cake. It, it's a really interesting thing. Hmm. And it doesn't feel redundant doing that. No, but the, the playthroughs are different enough. And I think it's sort of, I, I compare it actually to another game I've been playing recently to Diablo, where you you know, like, I don't know how many times I played through the Diablo campaign, the Diablo right. 3 campaign, to be clear. Yeah, me um, too. Yeah. And, but it, it's still fun because you're playing through it as a necromancer, as a crusader, as a barbarian, as a wizard, as a monk, et cetera, et cetera. And there's still new, exciting things to get out of that. And the story comes from the perspective of a different character each time. So you start with this duo you're the lady to be and 9s is your buddy and then the the second playthrough is from the perspective of 9s so Mm -hmm. you're getting all of the missing pieces of the story which you didn't get um you didn't get in the first one and then the third playthrough is spoilers it's this lady who you encounter partway through um and she is just a badass like she's done some crazy stuff and it's really really cool i'm sorry i hope i can say badass that was a bit maybe yeah. adult <laughs> um but yeah shut sorry. down the show <laughs> sorry sorry off. we're out we're out bad never invited back but no it was it was a it's just an amazing game to me and i think the story just kind of comes in real slow and that to me i just loved it see i think that's what separates it from diablo because i think diablo 
after the first playthrough, the story sort of recedes and I'm just sort of click, click, clicking away and, and, and just engaging with the pure mechanics of the joy of destroying things that are more and more powerful and getting cooler and cooler stuff. So, yeah. For sure. I wonder as a, as a fan of near myself, I, I wonder if another game goes for this approach, if there's something to be learned from gamers, reluctance or maybe i'm uh, projecting my own to replaying a game be it a new game plus mode or something like that like that we've kind of been taught about but i wonder if for something like near if it would have been easier for people to kind of grok the idea if it's like uh the next chapter you know the next the next person's story you know like you put away this book and then yeah. you pull out this data card or you know whatever it is now you're loading in this other perspective mm-hmm. instead of here are the credits and i don't mean like credits wink wink like here are all the credits <laughs> <laughs> and then it's, yeah. you, do you want to play it again i mean that was fun but i got this backlog i think i'm good and it, you know it hints at it and the internet was certainly talking about it uh, but i do think it was really interesting the way i feel like before it came out there wasn't a lot of talk about that like you really want to get you know three playthroughs or whatever it is to get the real ending um it was kind of like this game's out and everybody's like, yeah, it was all right. But did you play it? Well, yeah, you know, I, you know, I, I didn't finish it. I got like three fourths through. It was okay. Well, you, you didn't even finish it once. You definitely haven't played it. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it's such a unique game in that regard. So uh, you mentioned the Switch. I see that you're also playing uh, Toad Treasure Tracker, which I know is another game that Christian raved about. What makes you think that's a Switch game? What makes you think I'm playing that also? Yeah, exactly. It is a Switch game. <laughs> I actually, I picked it up in the UK. When I'm in the UK, I tend to just go to the the brick and mortar game shops and just browse around because stuff is randomly cheap in the UK. And so I picked up Toad Treasure Tracker for the princely sum of one English pound, oh. which in case in case you're wondering is around a dollar thirty. And I thought, well, for one English pound, I can't really go wrong. And you just got free <laughs> DLC too, right? It, well, is there a free one? I literally just paid for a paid one today. So maybe... Well, there is a paid one, but I think it was like co-op and I think like maybe something else was free. Oh, I think it installed with co-op by default for mm. me, maybe? Yeah. Um, but yeah, I have. I just wanted a... I'm often... My Switch play is kind of a mixture of things. It's oftentimes at home on the TV. It's oftentimes on a plane or other mode of transport where I don't feel like I can dive into something as like sort of um, engaging or deep or sort of hardcore like brain you need your entire brain to play this game and i thought yeah just a little like cute mario themed puzzle type game and i am absolutely loving this little game right now no one's heard of it none of my like triple a hardcore gamer nerd buddies have have even heard of it so i'm really interested to hear what your thoughts were on it i love it i i love it to pieces i perfect it or you know 100 percented the, I played it on Wii U, that console I pretend to forget about. Um, and then on Switch, I, I 100%ed all of the first... It's another game, too, where you beat it. I mean, I guess Nintendo has been doing that. It's like, you beat the game, and then the game, the real game starts. Um, so yeah, I think like I'm on, Odyssey like, the, and, yeah. Yeah, the second or third book or chapter or whatever, like, kind of big chunk of it. Um, and it gets, in my opinion, exponentially harder to, you know, perfect or get 100% all of the levels. But mm. I think it's so clever... I think something is is so refreshing. It's it's that good frustration of how slow Toad moves, where you're like, <laughs> I got this. Come on, little guy. Come on. <laughs> no wonder Mario hates you. You know, <laughs> no wonder he always gets ca- captured and yeah. stuffed into things, and you have to find him. Yeah, yeah. 
yeah, yeah popping exactly. out of weird places. Yeah. But the, it's beautiful. I think the level design is really smart. I, I tend to like games like this. I really liked, um, what was it Echo Chrome on the PSP back in the day, mm. which is kind of that yeah. Escher-esque world, Monument Valley. Yeah. Um, I like games that do the ch- Fez playing with perspective in 3d spaces i think is really cool and nintendo's approach on it um with treasure tracker in my opinion is that perfect nintendo of approach where it's easy enough that you know my oldest can get through levels on her own but hard enough that i want to throw my switch as i try to get everything on the levels you guys yeah. are throwing your switch you guys are gonna- Man, i you want to stuff. jeff i yeah. want to but yeah, I think it's really, it's really, it's a really great manifestation of it. And I think what I'm really loving about it as well is I don't, I haven't played very many Switch games, which have really lent into the touchscreen and, you know, that they, on the TV, they use the trigger buttons on the controller for the similar thing, but they really like jumped into the, and said, Hey, look, we have a console with a touchscreen. And there was one game for the, the, the console that shall not be named, which I really can't remember what it was called now, but it was a, another similar game where it really lent in and said, hey, look, you have to use the touchscreen for things. And the touchscreen on that other console was nowhere near as good as the Switch. <laughs> so it was a little bit frustrating. But um, but yeah, I love that they've really enga- they're really engaging with the touchscreen and bringing the touchscreen into this cute puzzle format. I, I'm I'm really enjoying it. And it, it, so is Diablo, you're like, you're, we talk on the show a lot about uh, games you're dating and games you're married to, you know, <laughs> is, is Diablo you're married to it game? Yeah, World of Warcraft and I went through a weird divorce lately. <laughs> <laughs> Where I sort of, I've always considered myself married to World of Warcraft. You know, it was how I got into gaming world. It was how I got into content creation. Basically being a girl telling people how not to be bad at PvP was sufficiently controversial that people were like, wait a second, a lady? I don't buy this. Um, so I, that was really, it's been a big part of my life. But I, I haven't logged in in eight months. And I think that wow. my life has changed in such a way that I can't be a World of Warcraft player anymore. It's, you know, way too grindy. It's an MMO and it's meant to be grindy. It's meant to be slow burn breadcrumbs, etc. But I just can't, in, I don't have the time to do that anymore. And one of the, you know, having an MMO is the game you're married to. It means that you never have affairs. And in, <laughs> right. some, in some ways, the worst kind of marriage. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, so, so I think at the moment, I, I'm definitely married to Diablo. I'm playing it on PlayStation and Switch. Oh my which gosh. definitely sounds like, and I'm playing it with different people on different platforms, which is something like a marriage, I suppose. I want to know how that works because there's no crossover. You don't get to you don't get to share your save. You don't get to share your character. Do you feel an a, an affiliation to one character over the other? Are you trying to keep them sort of? prestige level equivalent on both platforms or how are you doing that yeah so let me tell you i have i have what i i politely refer to as a necromancer problem uh i i dove into necromancy when they launched the necromancer and i found that i just freaking love being a necromancer it's, that might put you on a some sort of government watch list you yeah know? i'm sure <laughs> the nsa drones are circling ever closer as we speak <laughs> i made i made a necromancer in my D campaign even putting mm. with, putting the romance in necromancy and i think <laughs> I think it's uh it's, it's something where i'm like okay look all of my buddies who are playing who i'm playing with on the ps4 are all being clothy wizard types and so i begrudgingly made a crusader and so do i have an affiliation to any particular character yes the necromancer that i'm playing on the switch right. but on my ps4 because the season characters convert up into real characters at the end of a given season i now have <clears throat> six 
necromancers. Oh my so god! So I figured it was time for a change. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I'm still like I, I have. They're at about an equivalent uh, paragon level, which is Diablo's prestige system. Right. Um, and yeah, I'm still enjoying both of them in different ways. I find the Crusader frustrating because the necromancer is so much fun. But that, yeah, I, I think I'm I'm equally happy. I think the the experience on the PS4 Pro is definitely better than the than the experience on the Switch. The controller is definitely better on the PlayStation, and for those reasons, I'm enjoying the PlayStation. I enjoy the PlayStation gameplay more, but the portability of it is awesome on the Switch. Yeah, yeah, Christian, you were playing on Switch with a Pro controller, right? You were like putting your little Switch on its stand and playing with a pro controller. Wasn't that great? I've been known to do that. Yes. <laughs> yeah. uh, it's still a great way to play it. If you, if you are at a place regularly where you can have a little stand and a pro controller that hangs out and then you get to play it portably when you're not there, then you can get there and just plop it down. It's just that the ease literally, and I say this probably too much on the show, but we are so, I am so spoiled that the fact of turning on a TV has become an inconvenience <laughs> in my Switch gaming. Switch turns on so fast. Heaven forbid booting up a computer. Oh my God. But if I can just pick up a Switch or pick up a Pro Controller and the thing is sitting there and off I'm running. Yeah, I really I really enjoyed Diablo 3 on Switch. I think it. I think I said when I kind of did my review of it, it is the, the worst version of the game, but my favorite. Um, right. We're at launch feature complete, which is nice. But yeah, I mean, it, it's the worst running version of the game. But it's also the version of the game that I can literally play anywhere. <laughs> that makes it yeah. my favorite. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Casey, Casey Asante in chat says, "Gate the eight eight bit. I think you mean eight bit do is probably what you mean. But the eight bit do controller for the Switch, it's amazing. I actually I find the sticks on the Pro controller way too long. I don't know if that's a me problem or if that's a the controller problem, but I, I just find them very, very long and I find them unwieldy as a result. Hmm. Um, so maybe, maybe I should get the 8 bit do controller. I haven't actually, I looked at them and thought, oh, that's a cool idea. And then actually didn't end up buying one. So maybe I should change that. They make, I have their just traditional retro one. And then a, a friend has the one with the analog sticks on it. He loves it. I love the pro controller on Nintendo, but 8 bit makes quality, quality controllers. So if those, those analogs are a problem, maybe check it out. Well, Olivia, I know you have to leave soon, but I do want to talk a little bit about Anthem before you go, because I think it has interesting crossover to the Diablo question, because here is uh, another, this is a looter shooter, but I think uh, a lot of the things that people complain about with Anthem is how they handle the loot. And uh, Christian, you and I have both been playing Anthem. It is now officially released, although who knows when it was released if it if it's released is it, are we in some sort of stealth it's uh, released early it's released. access no. was it was it released 2 weeks ago yes yes I guess. yes I anyway so it's out i've been playing it on pc what are you playing it on i'm playing on regular xbox regular xbox 1 uh and uh i, I think the anthem is a, a really interesting case study because I think it's an excellent game that does a lot of things really dumb, and those dumb things overshadow the excellent game that it is. And I think that's an unfortunate because I think it's the kind of game that if it came out 10 years ago, would have blown everybody away and nobody would have really cared about some of the things. But we've games are so good right now, and it is asking you for it to be the game you're married to. It's asking you to be you know for it to be your forever game and that's a big ask and there are a lot of games asking that and there are a lot of games asking that that are really good and don't do a lot of things dumb and so those dumb things i think 
really have impacted the perception that people have of it. And maybe rightfully so. I, I Rightfully so. I don't even say maybe. Rightfully so, right? You're, the value proposition that it's asking of you is get married to me. I'm a big time commitment, but we're going to go and we're going to have this very long, fun ride and you're going to, you know, you're going to put a lot of time and energy into it and I'm going to reward you with cool loot and fun experiences. And it doesn't really deliver on those things, but the underlying game is really good. Like it's an excellent experience in my opinion. Christian, I'm wondering what you think. Uh, there's a lot of potential in it. Um, when the, the I opens, it opens really strongly playing the opening. I wish it was a single player game, uh, or a traditional, I don't even want to say traditional Bioware at this point. Cause I think I've unfortunately disliked more Bioware games than I liked. I wish it was a mass effect Two <laughs> Bioware game. Um, there are bones there that are incredible, absolutely incredible. Uh, I I want Insomniac or someone to make an Iron Man game. Like there are yes. there are pieces here that yeah. are so incredible, and there are so many seemingly boneheaded decisions that either are a reflection of trying to work within technology in which they were given, um, or all these other ca- caveats, or reflects a fundamental misunderstanding of the genre of game they made. And I'm not entirely sure which one it is, but there's a part in the Polygon review, and I think the whole Polygon review is is pretty good. Um, but there's a, a part in it there where it just outlines its biggest flaw with its genre. And it's just this idea of you finish a level, you're in a you're in a mission or a thing, you get loot, you don't know what that loot is. You go you load a kind of lengthy load screen, go back Get, see what your loot is, load, equip your loot, load, use your loot, don't like your loot, load, yes. change your loot, in the mission, load. Yeah, the, the idea being that – and this is exactly what I wanted to, to run by, Olivia, because you're, you're talking about Diablo 3, and, and you have put uh, clearly a lot of hours into, into Diablo. And I'm wondering – from your perspective, what keeps you coming back? What's the joy? Is the joy finding new stuff and putting that new stuff on? Because at a certain point, you're you're as powerful as you're going to be. Yeah, you're going to get more Paragon levels. You're going to, you know, inch up the ratio of your damage and you're going to be able to take on bigger and bigger things, go through, you know, more powerful uh, gates and stuff. But is it is it the loot that keeps you coming back? I think for me, it's actually, I, there's there's this notion of what type of gamer are you? It's that sort of, I, I forget exactly what the person who, who espoused it was called, but there's this notion of like different kinds of gamer of like story-driven or explorer or builder. My, my gamer archetype is killer. I really like killing stuff. <laughs> and so as a result of that, I, I just really enjoy the combat. And I think for me, it's it, for, for games where there is fighting, uh, the sort of the nature and the, the visceral feel of the combat um, is really, really important. I think that's what keeps me coming back to Nier is that the 2B playthrough is terrible for combat. But for the other playthroughs, the combat is just so good. Like I love Bayonetta for the same reason. Um, and it, for me and Diablo, it's just the satisfaction of murdering everything in the room. 
Um, and I think like Destiny was great for that. And Destiny is what's making me think, oh, maybe I should give this Anthem game a go. And I, no. think, I think that, no. well, I don't know, Christian, we can, we can have that debate. But I think that that is exactly the kind of person that would have a lot of fun in this game because I do think the combat is really fun. And I, I think the, it's unfortunate there that the quest types are so limited and so few and they're very repetitive. You do the same things over and over. Exactly how Destiny launched as well. The, the quests were, you know, defend a guy while he does a thing. Uh, defend a spot where a bunch of things are coming. Uh, go pick up things and put them back into their spots. And then do those three things over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's how Anthem is. And that's frustrating and, and, and bizarre. It doesn't make any sense why they would allow that to be the case. I don't understand how anybody wouldn't be like, you know, in the meeting, like put their hand up and like, Hey, can we come up with like a few more things for people to do? Yeah. I got something for you to do. Go collect those three things and get out of this office. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But, but as you know, you're saying somebody that likes just the pure visceral nature of combat, it's really fun. I am playing that wizard type of, I don't know the names of the javelins, but there's a wizard space wizard as a cape. And it's really freaking fun. And I'm, you know, blasting stuff with elemental attacks and freezing things in in place and shooting them with electricity and doing all kinds of cool. It's a blast. And the firefights are engaging and interesting. And you have this verticality that's really fun. And you're, you know, you're diving into the middle of things and then jumping out and you're dodging. And it's third person action combat that's really well done. And <laughs> Jake 32 says, uh, Jeff likes it because it's third person destiny. True. I wanted third person destiny. I'm <laughs> not a too. huge fan of the first person perspective in destiny. I wanted third person. I like looking at my cool guy doing cool things. And I wanted that and it delivers on that. But if you're the kind of person like I am that also likes picking up the cool thing and being excited about that awesome drop that I just got, Christian is exactly right that it just handles that in about the clunkiest, most uh, joy-deadening way it can, which is, hey, something cool dropped. Awesome. You don't know what it is. Oh, why not? Well, you haven't identified it yet. Oh, cool. How do I do that? You got to go back to your home. How do I go to my home? You got to go to a load screen. Oh, okay. No problem. That's cool. I'll go to my load screen. Cool. You got, went home. All right. Awesome. Uh, is this thing cool? I don't know. You have to try it. Oh, I have to try it? Yeah, try it. How do I try it? Well, you got to go back out into the world. Okay. In a new mission. All right. That requires a load screen. Oh, okay. All right. I'm in the mission. I'm trying it. Cool. Do you like it? I kind of like the one I had to quit better. Ah, too late, man. You're already on a mission. Well, what (laughs) if I want to change it? Well, you got to go back. Go back where? Home. How do I do that? Load screen. And you better not do it during a mission because then you'll be dropping from your party and... Oh no. Yeah, it's it is it is that loop frustratingly and I I don't I'm not even sure if that's its most egregious. Oh wow, really? Robber. What what are the other contenders? Cuz that sounds pretty egregious. Pretty egregious. For me, I, I also really dislike how it handles quote unquote open world. And this is another point of of uh I think um comparison that I think you will really associate with. And that is Part of the reason that I love World of Warcraft and have always loved it more than every other uh, MMO I've ever played is that right from the beginning, from the very word go, when the game first released, Vanilla WoW first released, you could start walking on one end of the world 
and get to the other end of the world and see the transitions and everything melded together. It felt like a place. It felt like a world. And yeah, you could, you know, nowadays you can, you know, you have to go through portals to get to expansions and you have to, you know, you can fast travel and do certain things and whatever, but it's, it still feels like a big open place, you know, and it's all seamless. It's all loading in the background. And so you, you take a, you know, take a flight path and you're looking over the world and you go, Oh, I'm going to go down there later. I'm going to, I'm to visit that guy. Oh my gosh, there's stuff happening beneath me. It feels like this cohesive open world. Anthem doesn't, it never does. And it's kind of the same thing that happened with destiny where you go on these missions with these people and it pairs you up with people for me. I'm playing mostly solo now. So I'm getting paired up with randos and then when it's done, it's like three, two, one, you're out of here. You know, and if you try to, during the mission, if you try to venture outside of where you're going, it's like, you can't go here. We're going to teleport you to your team in a second. Or, you know, you're venturing outside. You're about to lose the mission. If you keep in this, going this direction, it's so frustrating. It makes the world feel small. It makes the openness not feel open. And, you know, you do this cool thing together and forgive this analogy, but it, it's one that. <laughs> resonates for me. It's like I, you know, I I fell in love with with this with this moment, I'm having this wonderful romantic evening, you know, doing all these things. I'm just having a great old time, and then as soon as the mission's over, it's like, not nah, leave. Sorry, my, money's on the dresser. Get out of here. It's like, but, but I lo- I really liked you. You know, it's it it it's really like get out of here. Three, two, one. You're getting teleported out. You're done. This this wasn't a world. This wasn't a place for you to fall in love. This was a place for you to do a specific thing. Did you get your loot? Are you happy? Leave. And it just loses that sense of place. It loses that sense of of going and, and experiencing a world. It loses any kind of uh, geography. I don't know where I am. I don't care where I am because it's just a level to get through. I'm just following the heads up display to get me to the next thing. And it's 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 such a bummer. Yeah, that is a real shame. It sounds like the sort of, it sounds like it's taken away some of the cool stuff from Destiny of like feeling like, you know, when you first, and, and Destiny had that vibe too of sort of the defined out areas with the, with God, it's been a while, but I guess they were like planets or zones or like right. pe- parts of a solar system, I guess. Yeah. Um, and moons. And that you sort of had this sort of feeling within there. And I remember ha- happening upon the wrong bit of one in one of the hive zones in the first Destiny um, not expansion, like the, the initial base game of Destiny 1. Um, and I, I, I was just like, oh man, this is really cool. And it felt cohesive. But I really disliked the, oh, now you're in your spaceship. Your spaceship is up in the sky and it's clearly just, this is just a loading screen. And we we tried to make it an animated spaceship and that was fun and cool. But, but yeah, it doesn't, it didn't really do it for me. And that was something that I found really frustrating. And so, to, and so the comparison of the feeling of, does it feel on rails in the same way as Destiny 1 questing did? Yeah, it's like go to the place. If you try to go to anywhere that's outside the place, we're going to yell at you and tell you you're going to get teleported to your team or you're going to lose the mission. By teleported, you mean load screened. 20 second load screened. That is obnoxious. It's unfortunate. It's unfortunate because the game is gorgeous and the world is beautiful and full of interesting stuff that I'm like, oh, I want to go check what that, what's that over there? And there's maybe some enemies to attack over here. Nope, sorry, you're on a mission with these people. So... Don't venture out. Don't do anything that they weren't, aren't doing or it's just, um, I don't know. I hope these things change. I hope the game evolves in the way that destiny one evolved and got better. Uh, 
but there is gorgeous. I can't overstate that. It's really beautiful and it's fun. I'm, I like playing it, but so many, it, it's like it gets the big things right and the little things wrong, mm. you know? Yeah, I've seen some of the like some I've been looking at clips and like watching people stream it and some of the sound design and the 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 just general sort of feel of like getting into your I don't know what it's called, getting into your space suit. Javelin. Yeah. Oh, the, oh, the javelin isn't the people, it's the suits. Okay, got it. Yeah. On board. Um, Freelancers are the people and javelin ah, is the suits. So it's a Warframe vibe. Mm. I yeah, like that I mean, game too. <laughs> it really Warframe pretty much does everything better than than I mean, yeah. it really does. It does the Traversal is more thrilling in Warframe. The world is more interesting. The number and uh, variety of different suits you can get is cooler. Warframe kind of does everything that Anthem does, but better. Ah, well, I shall keep playing Warframe. (laughs) Fair enough. Well, I know you have to run. You have to pick your friend up from the airport, but uh, it has been a joy having you on the show, and I appreciate it. We'll have to have you back so you can stay for the full show sometime. Yeah, absolute pleasure. And apologies for the for the the timing snafu there. I, I really got the wrong one wedged in my head, and it's been an absolute pre- pleasure. Uh, great no to chat with you again, Jeff. Great to meet you over the internet, Christian. Been an absolute pleasure. Can't wait to come back. But yeah, thank you. Um, I, I am on – the best place to find me is on Twitter at Olivia D. Grace. I'm also on Instagram, but that's mostly food content. I am on Twitch as slash Olivia, but I stream maybe once in a blue moon. So come to Twitter, come hang out. Uh, Been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me again, guys. Great. Have a good night. Well, she was delightful. But now it's just you and me, Christian. Uh, I don't want to bounce off uh, Anthem just yet. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I want to stay on Anthem a little bit. Um, Tell me me what you were hoping to add. So... I, I know that I often come across as negative to your positivity. And I think even though it's a game we we both are nonplussed by, you manage to be more positive about your your feelings than I come across. So I want to start with positives. Um I do think about Anthem when I'm not playing it, I um which I think is a sign of it of a game that has captured my imagination. I think the character design of the javelins is really cool, even if it does if you if you held up you know, a whole bunch of them and, and a couple of Warframe uh, suits. I wouldn't be able to tell some of them apart. But I, I, I think the, um, the the feeling of being on the edge of a city and jumping off and like either just falling or firing up your boosters and flying and just having that kick in, that Iron Man moment is just absolutely incredible and really cool. I think hovering over enemies and raining fire down on them is very satisfying. Um, I, I think the world itself is is beautiful in terms of it's lush and it's vibrant and it has pockets here and there that go to deep, dark places. Um, I think the story is, is pretty cool. Um, I was about to say a, but but I'm not going to get to the butts yet. I think the story is pretty cool and the world they've built is interesting. I'm curious about this idea of what the Anthem is and, and, and why the, the planet hates people so, so much. It seems like, the characters are actually all pretty well drawn and mm-hmm. fun to be around. Like that dude, Owen, who's your cipher. I want to say yep. cipher is the name of it. Yeah. Uh, just a blast. It's a fun character. Like I want to be around that guy. And there's other yeah. characters that are, it, it's, they feel like people like they're not, they're not rendered in a way that makes them video gamey. They're not all, you know, steroided dudes or, right. you know, uh, Barbie looking women. It, it actually looked like people. And it, it's, uh, it's an interesting, vibrant 
world and they're all well voiced and, and well like, v- well performed for sure cool little animation flourishes like owen's like you know as you're turning away in a cutscene, he like sneaks the thumbs up in a couple of times yeah. um there's really cool moments in uh in the game like that there's several throughout and i'm you know in the in the many hours i've played i'm nowhere near in-game content um and and so i think the thing that frustrates me about all of the other stuff is that i look at this game and I, I want it to be what I want it to be. <laughs> and, it, and, it, and it fails to live up to so many of my expectations. I think the load screens and that gameplay loop that I've already discussed, I, I really do think that that is uh, in many ways unforgivable. Um, it's baffling because what you want to do in those games is pick up the cool thing and try it. Yeah. You want to pick up the cool thing in the middle of your mission and try it. You want to see what that cool thing, even if it's not a cool thing, you want to pick up anything and see what it is and go, oh my God, I got a, I got a pistol. I've been using a shotgun. What's a pistol feel like? You know, what's this pistol feel like? It, it, and the idea that you can't do any of that on the fly in the middle of a mission, I think you put it very well, Christian, in saying seems like a fundamental misunderstanding of the genre you're making, which is loot, looter shooter. <laughs> the loot yeah. part is pretty darn important to make it compelling and exciting when you get something. You, The whole point of playing this game is to get cool stuff. If, if the cool stuff is locked behind, you know, backtracking, even if the load screens weren't super long, just the idea of not being able to pick up that cool thing and try it right now is it's silly. Yeah, and I think they've gone on record to say the the design the public facing design design decision. Jeez, Louise, couldn't say those two words. Um was that it didn't they didn't want to interrupt the flow of gameplay and missions and have people standing there specking things out. And while I admire that um idea, I think the more elegant solve is something that Destiny and, and Warframe have done to varying degrees of success, but I've both done. And it's you build those moments into the missions then. And like, yeah, you might get some random loot uh, in the middle of something, but you'll get it from a mini boss or like, you know, a a larger enemy. Then afterward, there is that moment where everyone's going to sit and spec out their stuff and to take it further as you would if you were that person, right? Like if you were in that real world and you just took down this huge monster and there are no monsters around you anymore and there's a way better gun on the ground, I'd be like, hey, Jeff, hold on a second. I'm going to try this way better gun. You wouldn't be like, no, dude, we got to go take down this harder boss. Keep that crappy gun you have. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, and even more than that, some of the most fun moments I've ever had with my friends is when somebody's like, Oh, look what I just got. Oh man. And they put it on and I'm like, Oh dude, look at that. that. That's, the joy of these games. That's the joy. The joy of these games isn't I got this really cool thing and now I'm back into my locally loaded single player part of this game and I just fe- put it on and oh look it's, it's better stats. Like that's the joy is look what it, look what just popped out of the casino of this mission <laughs> and I, I get to put it on my guy. Look how cool he looks. Yeah, and I feel like uh, I, I think I disagree with you about the combat. I think it starts off very fun and engaging and that is it it doesn't go anywhere i feel like it ultimately ends up where i am now feeling fairly hollow where there's not a cover system there's not 
Um, really any dynamic moves that I appear to unlock and maybe very late or not even very, but much later than I am you do, but it's kind of, you have a barrel roll, your side dash, and then everything else is just not being able to fly for as long as you want to, not being able to hover for as long as you want to, and then just pumping bullets into people as you strafe around them. And you do maybe combos with people. If you happen to, again, that's the other problem is that my understanding of combos. And I, I realized the big, uh, was it Mikey Barra from Xbox tweet uh, kerfuffle about knowing what they are, but it's like interacting certain weapons with certain people. And if I have that weapon, but I can't change to it mid mission again, right belaboring a, a point uh so i think the combat uh, starts to feel stale where it's the same thing over and over in a rinse and repeat and i don't think it's as quite as engaging as as destiny or, or division or some of these other games in, in the genre are um and then my other huge but with this game after the string of positives that that make me like it i don't understand the hub world i feel like the hub world was built to be frustrating and the way missions are doled out and oh well i guess another point too is the way they just stop the entertaining story with what feels like hours of go get 10 sheep (laughs) also the sheep aren't on your hud like just look for them what do they look like they're purple there's a lot of purple on the map yeah but it's not that purple (laughs) look for this other purple but the way the home world where I like the story and I like the characters, but the way it's first person and plotty and literally everyone that wants to tell me something, I swear, (laughs) I swear they're standing at extreme opposite ends of a string and it's like speed, right? It's like, instead of the bus going under 55, it blows up. If this string ever gets less than perfectly taut, the world dies and they're so far away from each other. And I walk so slowly and there's nothing else for me to do between a and B and X and Y. And then all of that mixed up again with the load screens that aren't even attempted to be hidden. Like Olivia talked about Destiny spaceships, which don't get me wrong, I got very tired of looking at over my hours in Destiny. But at least that's like, I can pretend that's in game where I'm also bored in my spaceship. Yeah, and look how cool the spaceship is you looted. Yeah. You equipped a cool spaceship now. (laughs) Yeah. Anthem is just straight up a, 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 a screen. Yeah. A static screen that isn't your, that's not even my javelin. You know, it's not even like, look at my cool, it's it's like a hero, like uh, Spider-Man uh, on PS4. Like that had some load screens, uh, nowhere near as many of the anthems, but you could see your cool Spidey suit and zoom around in it. And I just feel like there's design decision after design decision in this game that it, it bums me out because I love, I love what I think the core of this game could be. And on every turn, it, it, it unfortunately disappoints me. Yeah, I, I kept thinking to um, Assassin's Creed Odyssey, honestly, uh, which is why we're thinking about. Are you thinking about that? A very different game, of course, but it just makes me appreciate how many things that game does right. Um, one of which is that Anthem really uh, made me think for the first time about how we're in an age where visual flourishes and visual fidelity and and just sort of the amount of detail that can be put on screen in these games now is to the point that it, it that art direction becomes really important because anthem is unbelievably gorgeous when you're out in the world it is so detailed and it feels so lush and vibrant and full of stuff 
that without a map marker or heads up display, I am completely lost. Yes. Yes. It's just a mishmash of detail. All the detail is spectacular. All the detail is beautiful. Eye popping. But for what? Like you need it. You lose clarity because there's just so much assaulting you and you lose a, a focus and a sense of, of purpose and where you're going. And so you, it requires a dot to say, okay, go here. And I was thinking of a, a game like Assassin's Creed Odyssey, certainly not the only game that's good at this. There are many, but, uh, that game, yes, you have, uh, you can have, you know, dots to follow, etc. but it, it is a game that is extremely beautiful, full of detail, full of vibrant motion and, and just beauty as well. But it is so clear where you're going, what you're doing, who, where people are, where you are, your relationship to them, what you can do to them at any given time. It's, it's so elegantly expressed to you. And I think that's that's a point that's going to become more and more relevant as these games get more and more beautiful and detailed because you can throw a bazillion D pixels at me and they're all extremely beautiful. But if I don't understand where I'm supposed to go or what I'm looking at, really, it, it's not helping. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think it's part of um, a, a fundamental flaw of us as humans, where it's like we expect things to work the way we work. And so maybe as we get into more AR and VR and we can blow our minds more often, it won't be the case. But I feel like Assassin's Creed works so well um, because it's towns and villages and laid out oftentimes pretty historically accurate, but also in the way that you'd think they would be. And so even with the markers off, they can see like they're in the ranch in the hills to the east of, you know, the windy island. And you can, you know what that is because you can see it, interpret it, and it's your real life. In an anthem, when you're out in the vast world, there's no, again, in my hours playing the game, there's no real markers. There's, there's not, it's not, not like, yeah. yeah, landmarks. Thank you. It's not like the Statue of Liberty is over there. So now I know, always know that that's where that's going to be. And I'm going to swing around. It's like a random rock formation and outcropping and waterfall and cave and whatever. And there's no way that it makes sense. It's like being dropped in the middle of, you know, Blair Witch or whatever, right? Like I'm in the middle of this vast forest. And I'm sure if I put the 80 hours into it, it'll start to make sense to me. But there's no, Nothing pulling me any which way except for a marker. And if I leave that which way, because as you mentioned, heaven forbid something looks interesting, it'll slap me on the wrist and say, no idiot. <laughs> yeah. Go this way. And it's, uh, it makes me sad. And it it's the other sad. thing that you, you mentioned about Tarsus, the, the sort of hub world. Yeah. Is that it feels lifeless. You know, there are people around, but it, that's another thing that I think Assassin's Creed Odyssey does really, really well is at no point did I think Assassin's Creed Odyssey was peopled with, you know, other players or humans or, you know, it, it feels like a video game city, but it's teeming with life. There are people doing all kinds of different things. There's conversation, there's noise, there's activity. Tarsus feels like a place where people stand, you know, it, it it's a strange, lifeless sort of dead place that doesn't invite my exploration it, it it feels like a museum that i'm wandering to to get to my next mission and once i'm at the mission the people are all fun and expressive and interesting and have great conversation and like i'm into the cutscenes of it all but that doesn't really translate 
to just navigating around the city. There's no joy in that. Yeah, the same can be said with Red Dead, where, you know, I can Mm -hmm. go into a town and just watch life unfold, right? right? And, like, people start shooting each other, (laughs) you know? And and if they know me and I've been there before, they'll call out for me. Um, And here, it's literally just things far apart from each other I need to walk to to trigger really well done and interesting cutscenes. But yeah, there's 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 no there there. There's no reason to explore the world. Then they also have the separate social space, like Destiny's home hub, which also I think they have several now. But they spread you out a little bit here and there to go talk to different people. Um, but that was also your social space, where you'd see someone like juggling a huge soccer ball or doing their new dance or showing off their new armor. Um, and Anthem has a different social space for that so it's not easy not even as if i'm walking around my hub seeing all these other cool javelins and these spray paints and all these weapons and whatever it's i'm alone in this world that in a screenshot looks like a village uh or a marketplace but in practice is just that screen just that screenshot that i'm walking through it's it's disappointing but I will say this. Well, first, first, before I go there, I want to um, read an email that we got because uh, Michael Newsom sent us an email to dlcfeedback at gmail.com anticipating us sort of slagging on the game. And he said he wanted to give a counterpoint as someone who liked it, uh, likes it, I should say present tense. Um, he does give an entire paragraph. Uh, he says, let's start with the flaws. <laughs> Um, but I feel like they're things we've already kind of talked about <laughs> and I don't need to rehash that. So I'm going to just uh, go with his uh, paragraph now to the good. He said, comparing to other games in this genre, it is far and away the best story. Destiny at launch buried its story away in cards randomly doled out to you outside of the game, leaving the in-game story incoherent and virtually non-existent. The Division had a fine setup, but didn't deliver much in the way of narrative story and over its lifespan didn't add a single piece of additional story content outside of the main campaign. In Anthem, I understand the story, I understand my motivation, I understand the threat and why I need to stop it, and I'm gradually uncovering more lore. The facial capture and voice acting are great, even if at times the dialogue isn't. I have a much better understanding of the characters in Fort Tarsus than any of the NPCs in similar games, and I appreciate that they are creating a smaller, more focused tale that can grow as opposed to dumping too much at once without any focus or understanding. It's the Marvel versus DC movie approach. Marvel took time building their universe, introducing us to who each character is over time. Meanwhile, DC and their second film tried to give us their trinity without proper introduction, in turn creating no emotional ties to any of the events or characters being portrayed. Similarly, Destiny 1, for example, threw a bunch at us, but failed to explain any of it in game. Anthem, however, introduces you to the antagonists, to the freelancer order, to the characters, to the history, etc. in the game, allowing for much better attachment to what's taking place. And with free DLC, they can easily add additional faction threats, regions, biomes, and more as they build upon this foundation. Never mind the fact that the flying and combat are just plain fun. Did I mention awesome robot armor and a gorgeous avatar-like setting? So, um he's positive about it and leans heavily into story content. And I'm not sure I agree with all of that, but I do think that the story as told in the cutscenes, in the dialogue moments is pretty interesting and compelling. I don't think it translates into the playing of the game though. Yeah, that's true. I would agree with you there. I'd agree with a lot of the email though. I do think it's a great story. I think it's, um, 
um, spread out. Uh, there uh, again, maybe it picked, but I'm, I feel like I'm in a chunk where it's just grind. And I get that these games have that, but it just, I'm just like, I don't want to do this. Like I do like the story and I think it's interesting. And while I think he's right to compare it to the division, I think he's wrong to compare it to destiny because unfortunately this game is coming out. What a year, uh, whatever it is after destiny two. And I thought the campaign in destiny two was excellent. And the campaign in the last destiny two expansion was excellent. And they, and they still had grimoire cards and problems with it, but it was super clear and straightforward about what was happening in destiny two. And it's like an old school, this is mine. I want this power. I'm going to kill you. Now I took it. And then you have to fight it and get it back. Like a tale as old as time, you know, like new guy comes to town, stomps all over you, changes your whole perception of who and what you are. Um, and so I think, yes, uh, Anthem tells a better story than destiny, but Destiny's like, at this point, it feels 40 years old, <laughs> you know? And I know that games take a long time to, to make, but I think had Anthem come out day and date with destiny, destiny one, we'd be having, it'd be getting very different scores and it'd be, uh, the conversation would be very different, but it's coming out in a world where I know a slightly different genre, but also kind of a looter shooter. Apex Legends stealth launches for free and is polished and incredible. It's hard. It's it's hard for this game. And I wanted I, I wanted Bioware to get a win, you know, so to speak. I, I wanted to love this game. Um and so while I agree with many of the positive points in the email, I personally believe that the negatives um are too stacked against it. What about you, Jeff? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I I definitely can see a point at which this game gets really good. Um, and do you think EA will give them the time? I don't know. That I do not know. I, I can't predict. Uh, I fear that it, they won't. But I don't know. I mean, clearly they put a lot of money into this, and it has you know there's content coming. So I have no idea what the sales are going to be like for this game. Um, but it's got a lot of potential. It's doing a lot of things right. It is beautiful and interesting and and fun it's fun it's i don't fun. know if those just, loads and that loot loot loop can be fixed I, I hope i'm wrong but i feel like the way destiny uh its engine couldn't necessarily fix the creating content as quickly as people wanted and i don't know if it's frostbite it's just me speculating but i i don't know if those can be fixed yeah yeah um the other thing i was gonna say <laughs> and this may get me into trouble um, and you may even disagree. People, people, a lot of people may disagree, but I'm still going to say, and I, and I probably shouldn't is I, I don't look at Metacritic. Uh, so I don't even know the Metacritic scores, but the sense that I get is that this game is perceived as being, uh, uh, bad for lack of a better word. While a game like kingdom hearts three is perceived as being good. My sense is that Kingdom Hearts 3 generally got really good scores and Anthem generally got mediocre to bad scores. Is that fair? Uh, Yeah, I would get rid of bad because I don't think any game gives out like twos or fours. But yes, I I would agree in that assumption. (laughs) Yeah, you know, people see a six and they're like, ooh, this game must stink. Um, and again, very different games. And I know I'm going to get a lot of Kingdom Hearts lovers uh, down my neck here, but I, I don't understand how you can look at Anthem and say it has these huge problems and look at Kingdom Hearts 3 and say it's a home run. Like, 
Kingdom Hearts 3 ha- has the same kind of problems Anthem has mm. in the sense that it is super clunky. It forces you into doing things that are really dumb. It ruins its world in a lot of really fundamental ways. It it botches uh, just the, the simplest actions that you should be doing. It's confusing in in ways that it need not be. I mean, you're running up walls for no reason that flash at you to tell you that you run up them. There, there are a bunch of things it does as clumsily as Anthem does its things, and yet people overlook them, I guess because it's delivering fun Disney content that you know warms your heart and people have an affection for this universe, which is all fair and fine. But uh, I, I find it weird it's just one something i wanted to point out it's totally fair you can have any opinion you want right and you can forgive i do it all the time i forgive things in one game that i hold another game to account for and i can't always explain why it's okay here and not okay there and so i'm sure a lot of people do that but i feel like it's weird sometimes to look at how much people excuse what i find to be egregious fundamental playability problems <laughs> on in one hand and in another hand go that ruins what I think is actually a very well-made game on a lot of levels. So yeah. I think Casey Asante here in the chat sums it up fairly well with what I was going to say in retort to you and, and what Casey wrote kingdom hearts three is succeeding on legacy. People started that story many years ago, so they can overlook the flaws Anthem is a new IP. Oh, yeah. And PCH89 has another point that I was going to make completely different genres. So I feel like completely different. Yes, I, I admit that going in, but I think there's a meta point to be made. Yes. And I think there are, oh, I'll get some sacrilegious uh, people think this sacrilegious. I think there are better made JRPGs than Kingdom Hearts 3. Like that genre yes. has evolved past Kingdom Huge. Hearts yes. 3. But, 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 Kingdom Hearts 3 is Kingdom Hearts 3. And it is very much a Kingdom Hearts game. And it is very much a continuation and kind of evolution of those games in that series. And it is a, a series that has not overstayed its welcome. We all roll our eyes at all the HD 2.4, Once a Dream, you know, Don't Look Behind You Right Now, X142 releases and side stories. I guess they're not side stories anymore because three made them canon, whatever. <laughs> um, but it is a it is a series that has not overstayed its welcome. It was not like um, God of War Ascension, where it was another God of War that was done fine, but we were kind of done with that story at that point, and it came out too quickly, or even a Batman Arkham Origins, where it was like, oh, this was made by the air quote B team. We just had the perfect version with Arkham City of this open world Arkham game. This one feels a little worse. I wish they would try something new. It's like, this is Kingdom Hearts 3. It's amazing. It's a continuation of Kingdom Hearts, and they improved some things, and everything else is fun and quirky as I remember it. It's my blanket. It's my lovey, right? It's this thing that I've had with me. I'm going to keep it with me, and I think the reviews reflect that. And a lot of them said, you know, there was talk like, can you jump in on this game? How is the game going to be for you if you're jumping into it? But it's also weird to review a game that is the culmination of 15 years or whatever it is as a standalone, I think the same way would be like to review um, uh, Return of the Jedi alone. It's fine, but it's different when viewed as a whole, right? And Anthem is 
a beginning and it is entering a world of a genre that is a very hot current genre in which we have many games that do it have been doing it and seem to be still doing it better than this new entry is so i think that's why it's rightfully getting i don't care what your score is but i think the reviews i've read the words in those reviews i think are justified um so that's my long-winded answer to why i think there's the discrepancy between the two yeah fair enough and and i you know obviously right it's 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 obvious but it also feels I guess my thesis is that I don't think the mistakes that are present in Anthem are worse than the mistakes that are present in Kingdom Hearts 3 for me. And maybe the, maybe the, I think even Kingdom Hearts 3 fans would admit that it is got a lot of, let's say rough edges, right? But I guess it doesn't do enough right to overcome those where King of Hearts three does for those people. Um, but I, you know, I don't know. I think it does a lot, right? I think, I think Anthem does a lot, right? It's just, it's just weird that they let that as many things it does wrong, be part of the game as it shifts. <laughs> so, yeah. so yeah, I mean, I, I can't argue with people that say it's bad or not worth playing or not worth buying. I think now. That's the I, difference. It's not bad. Like what is bad? Um, I think it, I think we've pointed out its flaws, um, or things that we find to be problematic with it. And then it exists as art, <laughs> you know, like, is it bad? I don't know. I think it has flaws that prevent it from me from enjoying it to its fullest potential. <laughs> yeah, I guess. And I guess, you know, if, if a game is getting is a solid double or even maybe even a triple in this case, but there's home runs every out day. There. Yeah. yeah. It's like, what well, you know, it's. I, I can't imagine once Division Two comes out, I'll be playing this much because Division Two will scratch the exact itch I want scratched. Yeah. And I think Division Two feel based on what I played of the demo feels like a more complete product. But again, this is, that's the second iteration of that yep. franchise. So who knows? All right, we talked about Anthem a lot. Uh, let's talk about Metro Exodus because Metro Exodus is another game both of I, both you and I have played. Choo choo. Choo choo, um, choo choo. Not the hype train, more like the depression train. <laughs> yes. uh, it's an optimistic depression train, though. Optimistic depression. Okay, <laughs> all right. Uh, the bleak, the, the the hope in the face of bleakness train. I guess. Yeah, because you have to uh, compare this train to how bleak the world was prior to the knowledge of said train like this isn't a hopeful train <laughs> let me let me ask you a question about the beginning of of metro exodus uh maybe i wasn't paying attention as closely as i should have but is what happens at the beginning of metro exodus are we supposed to believe that for years everyone's lived underground for two games worth of time well, everyone's my, very early game but also major spoilers coming go ahead well it's the Okay. It's yes. literally like the first half act of the game. But yes, if and you are going in. the premise in, of the game. I think any yes. screenshot you see. But yes, it is yes. A, technically a spoiler. Uh, so be warned. Very early. A spoiler. Um, two games worth. The entire fiction is all life has to be underground because the surface sucks. Oops. Everyone's on the surface now. Love <laughs> we, it. 
love it. We found surface people and there's a lot of them. And what, what have we been doing in the underground for this whole time? That's the whole premise. Love it. Why were we underground when everyone, literally everyone's above ground? Because they had been lied to. I <laughs> yeah. love it. Yeah. What a fun – and I have not read the book that these are based on, so I don't know. But And I have not – I don't think I finished either any – either? There's two? There's two previous. Two. I haven't finished them. Uh, I played several hours of both. I think you and I ran into a similar bug on two where I lost my save, and I was like, nope. <laughs> no, mine was uh, – this is a, it's a classic weekend confirmed. Uh, I was loving it. And uh, there was a bug on the Xbox version where uh, you put your gas mask on and you can't take it off. And so in that game, if you take damage, your gas mask cracks to the point where you can't see through it. And you can't take it off and replace it. So literally, I keep playing the game fine, but I can't see anything. (laughs) (laughs) So I was like, I guess I have to stop. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) So. So I don't know, you know, how this, the fiction maybe happens or lays out, but I love this version of like retconning, you know, to some extent a world to take it to bold new directions and get you out of telling stories in the sewers for another time and experiencing this world in a way that is cool. And you had been lied to for so long. And what are the ramifications of that? And the mystery behind it, like what is happening? Is this war still going on? Was it where you just justifiably lied to where, you know, um, we were lying to you to keep you safe kind of thing. And then the relationship of your character and the main characters and the ha- kind of how that drives the story and makes it personal, I think is really cool. Like it's a, you know, kind of silly, like record scratch, like, yeah, that's me, <laughs> you know, moment. Right. But I, I, I thought it was pretty clever in a way to expand their world in a fun new way. Yeah. Uh, it's just funny that like, um, they're like, well, like we, I guess we can't go above. Gr- Wait, there's so many people. <laughs> there's yeah. so many people up here. Yeah. There's like, and it happens immediately. They're like, well, we, I guess we could go out one day and see if, whoop, everyone's, there's, there's, there's trains. <laughs> uh, anyway, so yes, story very cool, bleak. Uh, what do you, what do you, what do you think of the game? I really like it. Uh, I don't think it's going, and I've heard no, spoilers because i don't know them but i've heard the story doesn't pay off um which kind of disappoints me because i like it right now and i I like the characters i guess Uh, i think they're fun um and i I don't think it's of the quality of the two games i'm about to say but it is uh, invoking in me feelings of half-life 2 and resistance 3 which are Mm. both games that i really loved for how they kept bringing you into new worlds and new places. I guess you'd say new places of a cohesive whole, but they felt distinct. Was it Raven hold in half-life two? Um, Raven. Yeah, I think Raven. the horror, the horror sub level of half-life yeah. two. It's like, it felt very small and distinct, but also fit within the world they had created where you didn't have to, you know, fly your space plane to a new planet. Now you're on horror level. It was like, Oh, this makes sense in this world. And resistance three was kind of this, you know, road game where it's kind of like a Western to some extent in that, in that world where you're experiencing different pockets and and areas and survivors. And so the vibe I'm getting from Metro Exodus so far is very similar to that, where it's like the train is connecting all of this, but I'm allowed to have these small distinct experiences um, when I get off the train. uh, And I'm really enjoying it. I'm also uh, enjoying that at least where I am, ammo hasn't, been um 
hard to come by yet, <laughs> which is I appreciate from the or... first two games where it was also my currency. Right. Are you playing normal or or easy? The, whatever it started me on. Yeah, I think so. I, interestingly, the difficulty levels also affect the drops of the availability of of ammo hmm. and items, which I thought was a really cool thing to affect by difficulty level. Um, I'm playing on normal as well. Um, this. What do you? I Metro Exodus for me represents how much I have changed Hmm. (laughs) because I loved the first two games. As we pointed out, I didn't finish the second one because of that crazy bug, but I was so mad at that bug at the time. I didn't go back to the start to restart. That was the only way to evidently to deal with it was to restart. Yeah. Nope. And I couldn't (laughs) bring myself to do that, but, and so I never finished it. And I, it haunts me to this day because I was so in love with that game. I was having such a great time with it. I don't want to be in this place. I don't want to be in this place anymore. I, mm-hmm. It is interesting about who I am and where I am in my life and, and the world around me and how I feel about the world around me that I just – it is so bleak and so dark and so dreary and hard to – uh, survive, you know, everybody is having a hard time surviving that I, I don't want to put myself through that. Yeah. And I, and it sucks. Cause I think the game's awesome. I'm digging it. I, I you know, I sort of like it on a, in a detached way of like, I appreciate it and it looks awesome and ultra wide. And you know, it's like, it, it's a really cool looking game. Although I have to point this out. I know I mentioned this to you privately, I was very disappointed with the ray tracing because, uh, you know, I have that, that fancy schmancy 2080 card yeah, and I was all excited to have a game that finally supports ray tracing to check it out. I think the game looks better with ray tracing turned off. Huh. I jumped through massive hoops to get it to go. You have to, I had to like update windows and do a whole thing. And it really disappointed me with, uh, with the ray tracing on it. it looks blurry and hazy and uh less distinct and less detailed i was super disappointed with that but the game is uh really impressive looking um the world is detailed and i keep saying bleak it is bleak but like you know impressively so i just don't want to be there i don't like it i don't like how it makes me feel and it's on purpose yeah but i don't i don't there's too many other things to play I wonder, I, I wonder if it's, hmm, I want to revisit this when you play the division two, because I feel like the division one was also very bleak, but it's a different way in how it presents its atmosphere to you, where yes. I just feel like the division one was like video game. It's a video game. Yes. Your best friends are dead from a horrible plague. It's a video game. It, well, yeah, it's like it's division two is like everyone died. And look at this cool thing. You found a <laughs> scarf. You have a scarf. <laughs> oh, my God. Lands in updated their full collection. <laughs> this scarf is plus two to awesome. Yeah. <laughs> um. So, yeah, I mean, I, th- I think tonally and. I will be the first to admit that's to Metro's credit, right? That the tone they're going for, they succeed at. That is intentional. It's purposeful. It is appropriate, right? I shouldn't be having fun in the post-apocalypse. It shouldn't be a joyous, you know, death of everyone by bubonic plague or whatever division is. Uh, But I don't, I don't want to feel those things in my entertainment. I'm just, I'm, I'm, 
the world is heavy enough for me yeah. that I don't want heavy, uh, bleak in, in trying to survive, just feeling of anxiety all the time. Uh, it may be the kind of this similar reason why I'm, I decided I didn't want to play Resident Evil 2 remake. I just, and I, I'm embarrassed by this. I'm embarrassed because it, I think it's a simplistic, uh, choice. It's a, sort of immature choice on my part, like to not want to put myself through these things, but I just can't right now. I can't. Yeah. I don't think you need to apologize for it. I think to me where I find hope so far and I'm waiting to have my, you know, heart ripped out of my chest, but it's in the relationships like that's, and I, who was it in the Jake's again, 32, getting a lot of airtime in this chat said pre, this was a preview of your eventual take on the last of us part two as well, where it's like, I don't want to feel this. It's too sad. It um, might be. It might be. to me, it's the, it's the relationships. It's the people and the connections you make in that world that make it hopeful and, and full of light where there's beauty and, and, you know, in the destruction. So, uh, I, wait for me to get to the last chapter. I was like, everyone's dead, Jeff. Why did you let me keep playing this <laughs> game? But it's not even like, I, I have a, maybe I'm not articulating this as well as I could, uh, because uh, Jake is also asking, do I not like sad games anymore? It's not that I don't like sad games. I mean, I think I would put um, what remains of Edith Finch in a different category, right? Very sad, very melancholy, very, um, very heart wrenching. And it's not that I don't want to put myself through heart wrenching. I'm I'm kind of fine doing that. And I would play Edith Finch again today. You know, I adored that game. It's in my top five of the year it came out. And I would still play that. I still like those kinds of things. This is a little different, and and it's a distinction that may be hard to express. But it's the it's like very early on in this game. You know, you're like stabbed and thrown into a ditch and you crawl through skulls and dead people because they died in the apocalypse based on, you know, radiation poisoning. And, and, I, and I'm like, oh, I just spent the day looking at the New York Times article about how climate change is be- beyond the point at which we could do anything about it. And it's like it just feels so hopeless yeah. Uh, and, and, and whereas a game like Edith Finch is sad and melancholy, but there's like a humanity to it. And this, some of these games where you're really dealing with living through horrible things. Yeah. It, it isn't about the humanity of it. It's about the reality of that awful thing. And I just, I have a hard time going there. Well, lucky for you, Devil May Cry 5 is soon. Because <laughs> that's horrible in the more video game way, where it's like, your, your world will end. Oh, yeah, will it? <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm ready for like Rage 2, where it's like, it's the end of the world, and we're having a blast. Borderlands, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So anyway. Uh, all right. Uh, anything else on your playlist, Christian? Not that I can talk about. Okay. All right. Well, um, I'm excited to hear what that is. I want to talk about one more game. Uh, and that is a game that just came out on Switch, and I adore it. It is called Typo Man. This has been out for a while on on iOS, I think Android as well. I played it um, at the recommendation of friend of the show and big time Hollywood director Dan Trachtenberg. Oh, big he time! Told me, yeah, he told me about it. Uh, you may know him as the director of the Uncharted movie. <laughs> Never <laughs> heard of him. To, Don't yeah. like that franchise. <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, the two things I know about you, and those are them. Um, 
Anyway, Dan uh, told me about uh, Typo Man as an iOS game. And he's like, you got to download it. It's free. Download it. I downloaded it. I have mentioned many times on this show my intense hate. I don't hate a lot of things. I hate virtual sticks on a touchscreen. I hate it. I can't stand how it feels. The tact. I just hate it. I hate it. Um, so as much as I really thought Typo Man was a cool game on iOS, I was like, I need it to be on something else. God, if only this, this game is like the perfect game for Switch. Google, it's coming out on Switch tomorrow. You know, so it came out on Switch this week. Uh, I'm so excited. And I purchased it immediately, 13 bucks. It was a free-to-play game on iOS. Bought it for 13 bucks. And let me tell you about it. You know, you know my love of words and language and word games. Uh, Typo Man is a platformer. And a word game at the same time. How you ask? Great question. First of all, I love the aesthetic. It's very, it's it's reminiscent of Limbo. You know, it's got that like high contrast, very shadowy look to it. And the idea here is, and it's funny. This is also a very bleak world. Uh, it's sort of in this bombed out, uh, desolate wasteland. W- one can imagine it is uh, the end of the world, also, and it's very dark and bleak. So I'm already a hypocrite yet again, but <laughs> uh, you, uh, you, the, the game starts with a dump truck, like dumping a bunch of letters, not letters you read, not, you know, like a, not post, but like actual typographical characters, you know, A's and B's and C's and D's in a big pile and an O rolls out and you control that O and then eventually that O finds an E that's its body and it finds an M that it's its legs and it becomes a little man. It's typo man. He literally is constructed out of individual characters, English characters. Uh, and then, and you're running a side scroller, 2d side scroller. You're jumping and, and, uh, climbing and swinging and doing platformy stuff, but you're also encountering words, English words, uh, that have a bearing on what's happening in the world. So like a platform that is going up and down, like you would find in any platforming game will say platform on it will be built out of the letters of platform or enemies like an enemy. There's an enemy that's built out of the words doom D O O M. (laughs) So like the D is its head and the O's are its sort of snake like body. And then the M are its claws. Like the M's are sharp and they're, they can stab you and stuff They're built out of letters. And the, uh, the other things will be like a gate that you have to open will be built out. Like I would say G a, and then the T will like be going up and down at, you know, in gate. So the world has typography as part of it. And you quickly discover that if you affect the words, you also affect the world. So for example, if you need to turn on a switch, the switch will be like on an N and there'll be an O somewhere and you can pick up the O and bring it over. And if you put it next to the N, it spells on and that turns the switch on. Super clever, super fun. And as it gets more and more complex, it gets really cool and puzzly, but still inside of a platform. Hmm. Now, I'll tell you, I'm going to spoil one of the puzzles. There's a lot of them, so it's a very minor spoiler. But I want to illustrate how cool this game is. It's very early on in the game. I think it's in the second level or something, very early on. Um, you come up to th- the word praise, P-R-A-I-S-E. And it's just sitting there, right? And you run up to it. And beyond it, 
uh, is a sort of um, like a uh, an impediment, something in in the way, and uh, also a bunch of gas uh, that will kill you if you spend too long. It you can run through the gas, uh, but if you spend too long in it, you'll die. And there's like a couple of different, and it has the word gas as gas is coming out of it, right? So uh, you can run, try to run through the gas to get to the other side of it, to jump up this area, to get out of the gas, to move on in the level, but you can't seem to make it fast enough. You can't even get there because this thing is is impeding your progress. So quickly I realized, well, if you take the P away from praise, you get raise, which raises the impediment. So just having the word raise there raises the impediment. But even with the impediment raised, I still would try to run, 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 run through the gas, and I couldn't get all the way to the end without dying. I would try to run up to the word G-A-S, gas, and try to pull one of the letters off of it. I couldn't. I would die in the gas before I was able to do that. And I was, I would get almost to the end, and I would think if I just jump, 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 maybe this is a timing thing. I need to go super fast. No, always to the end, I would die right at the very last part of the gas. And I'm thinking and I'm thinking and I'm thinking. And I finally realize that I take the P from praise and I carry it with me to the gas and I put it at the end of gas to make gasp, which lets my character breathe for a second. And then I can move through the rest of the gas. Turning gas into gasp gave my character the ability to take a breath. Brilliant! Brilliant. That's the kind of thing this game does. And I love it. Super fun platformer. The controls are could be better. It could be a little more precise. Could be a little bit more responsive. But man, for 13 bucks, it's a great puzzle game it's great if you love wordplay if you love that kind of thing moving words around creating words but also playing a kind of a cool platforming video game can't recommend this one enough it's called typo man it's on switch it's on ios i i don't know if it's on anything else but um i dig it it's super great <laughs> not my kind of thing now if it was pinball and platforming <laughs> <laughs> but no one could make that game how could Impossible. anybody make that game uh, Griffin says the game is a giant dad joke, isn't it? No wonder Jeff likes it. I don't think that's a dad joke. It's just clever, clever wordplay. I don't see how that's a dad joke. All right. Uh, let's wrap this bad boy up. We've been talking a long time and uh, it's been fun just having uh, you and me, although I appreciate having Olivia on earlier as well. Uh, let us, uh, we'll, we'll um, have our parting gifts after this, but Christian, what do you got going on this week? What is it? I think Wednesday. Wednesday? Yeah, Wednesday. Uh, I'm doing a set at Flappers. If you're in the Los Angeles area, you can come by there. I think it's like 930 is the show. Uh, Twitter's a good way to keep in touch and to confirm <laughs> that. <laughs> it's at Spicer on Twitter. I stream this show live pretty much every Sunday at 7.15 p.m. Pacific on my Twitch page, which is twitch.tv slash Christian Spicer. Uh, I think that's good. What about you? You can always follow me on Twitter. I'm at Jeff Kanata, which is spelled with two N's and one T. And <clears throat> I do a, another podcast about movies and TV shows called the Slash Filmcast, which you can find at slashfilmcast.com or anywhere you download podcasts. I think this week we're going to be talking about how to train your dragon three. Should be a fun discussion. So stay, uh, you know, tuned for that. Don't stay tuned. Tune over there. There's another place to tune. 
tune them slash filmcast.com. You can also email this show. If you have any, any uh, comments or questions or um, anything you'd like to contribute, we appreciate hearing from you over at DLC feedback at gmail.com. We appreciate getting quick questions there. I want to bring that segment back again. We need some some more for uh, a quick question segment in the future. So please send those to dlcfeedback at gmail.com or um, post them over in our subreddit, 5x5dlc.reddit.com. There's a sticky thread called Quick Questions Version 3. Uh, let's uh, sign off with our parting gifts. Hey, give us a suggestion. Christian Spicer, do you have a parting gift to help people get through their week? I do. <clears throat> um, one serious note uh, here at the end, and then I'll give a, a fun slash silly parting gift. Um, uh, a colleague, a stand-up comedian, and someone I had the pleasure of working with and knowing um, and calling a friend, um, Brody Stevens, uh, took his life uh, at the end of last week. Um, he was a force in the comedy world, uh, so kind and generous. Um, and, uh, struggled with, um, mental health issues in the past that are well-documented. Um, I don't, I, I don't know, like the correct way to say it, but, um, uh, Jeff and I are here. You're not alone. If you are struggling, please know you are not alone. There are people out there that care about you and love you um, and would move mountains for you uh, and, and, and you know, find the support you need and get the help um, because the world is worse off without you. Mm-hmm. Um, so my, my thoughts to him and, and his family and people that knew him and worked with him as well, and then just the the broader reminder of um you know take care of yourself and uh take the time to to do that and i don't know the right way to say it so that's the the i I will let me just say that um i i was perhaps a bit flip uh in in talking about um metro exodus for example and and how harsh the real world can be and maybe that is a a good point there as well i i perhaps made light of the fact that it you know, uh, things can be dark and depressing in the real world and, and hard day to day. Uh, we all feel that way. Some more than others, some, uh, more deeply and more, more often. And, uh, we are all here for each other as humans. I, I believe that. And like Christian said, uh, he and I, uh, you know, are open. We'd love hearing from you guys. If you need to reach out to somebody, Reach out to us. Reach out to each other. There's a great forum. Find someone in your life. Find a professional. Uh, if if you're feeling um, the darkness, <laughs> it uh, it doesn't need to be something you you handle all by yourself. Um, so yeah, I think and, those and are, take well it seriously. Said. It's not like a broken leg. It's hard, and you question yourself. And it's real. Um, yeah you know, have personal and family, whatever. Yes. And so this is also now my fun and silly, but also is very appropriate um, for him and his memory. Uh, He played in college and was such a lover of the sport. Um, It's baseball. 
this is the perfect time. I, I usually mention baseball a couple of times as I'm wearing my Astros Dodgers World Series shirt. Um, I mentioned it a couple of times throughout the course of a year, I'm sure, because uh, baseball is a long season <laughs> and there are times to be excited about it. And that was one of them when the big signings are happening and spring training is happening and every team has a chance and you get to be a part of that fun and you get to see the young players and get really excited. And then things get boring. <laughs> and then there's the all-star break and then things get boring again and then things get exciting again. So if you're looking for a sport to get involved in or you think it might be fun to pick a team and go for the wild ride that is baseball, um, this is a perfect time to do it. And um, yeah, he's a big fan of the game. So it feels a- appropriate as a as a transition from something serious into something silly. Um, I love the game, and uh, if you want to give it a shot, this is this is the perfect time. Find a team and and uh, go for a journey. Indeed, uh, I've never been a baseball guy, but um, I mean, I like October. I yep, like- that's 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 when most people like it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, awesome. Um, we got a listener suggested parting gift. Uh, this comes to us from John Mills. He says, uh, "Hi guys, just running in." With a parting gift that I've been enjoying endlessly for the past week, Weezer's new cover album, affectionately referred to as the Teal Album. While an incredibly enjoyable and joy-inducing set of performances from one of my favorite bands, the real story here is the inception of this album. For those in your audience not familiar with Weezer or how the Teal Album came to be, I hope you'll indulge me some backstory. Back in December of 2017, a 14-year-old music fan from the Cleveland area named Mary started a Twitter account at Weezer Africa and pe- uh, petitioned the band via social media media to cover Africa by Toto. This quickly went viral and turned into an internet fan campaign for the band to finally bless the rains down in Africa. Weezer, not to be outdone in sheer internet trolliness, eventually did cover a Toto song, Rosanna, an excellent song in its own right, giving a week or two for all of the social media to collectively roll their eyes at the band's gag, Weezer finally released their cover of Africa. Seven months and a government shutdown later, and everyone's favorite Cardigan Destroyers secretly dropped their 12th studio album, which includes their takes on Africa as well as several other gems that all seem like no-brainers for the Weezer treatment. He says, sorry, Jeff, no print songs, but maybe that's for the best. Yeah, that's for the best. Initially, the album uh, will be available digitally only with a physical album slated for a March release covering songs from the 60s, 70s, 80s, and 90s. The Teal album is classic Weezer, but not from start to finish. Some of my favorite personal favorites, excuse me, some of my personal favorites include versions of AHA's Take On Me, Michael Jackson's Billie Jean, and Tears for Fears' Everybody Wants to Rule the World. But the real standout here may be one of my wife's favorite songs, No Scrubs by TLC. Take my word for it, you'll sh- sure be to be you'll sure to embarrass yourself at many a stoplight singing along to this one. Whether you only know Weezer from songs like Buddy Holly and Beverly Hills, or you're a lifelong fan like myself, you owe it to yourself to give the Teal album a listen. You're guaranteed to find something that will put a smile on your face. Thanks for all you do week in and week out. Keep up the great work. Uh, thanks, John. Uh, Christian, this seems like something you would have already experienced. Yeah, I have uh, been aware of this. It's... Uh... Uh, I have a little bit of a troubled relationship with Weezer, but I'm generally a fan. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Cool. Uh, if you want to have your parting gift read on the show, send it to us um, at uh, dlcfeedback at gmail.com. Uh, my parting gift actually is going to be a um, uh, 
a check-in with a previous parting gift. If, if you're a loyal listener to the show, you know that a few weeks ago, several weeks ago now, I talked about a popcorn maker that I got. It's a little silicone nothing thing. It was like 10 bucks online. My wife got it for me for Christmas and it's changed my life. <laughs> it is a completely oil-free popcorn popper and you just you just use actual popcorn kernels you put it in the bottom put it in the microwave for a few minutes it pops up light and fluffy oil free butter free it's amazing i love it i talked about it i don't know if there's ever been a parting gift that i've gotten more email about than that one <laughs> which is pretty cool uh a lot of people sending really cool suggestions um let me find uh, who it was specifically. Oh, Rob Maxwell sent a suggestion saying, uh, tried if you wanna... adding oil. <laughs> <laughs> no, he said, if you wanted to add like some, uh, some, um, seasoning stuff, sometimes it won't stick very well because there isn't oil. He says, uh, put a little spray bottle of water and you just lightly spray water. And then you, you, you know, sprinkle your mm. seasoning on it. It'll stick to it. Brilliant. So that was cool. Uh, but the one I really want to talk about is Chris, Chris, Riley, uh, sent me, uh, a suggestion for some popcorn kernels. Cause I'd gotten just or- Orville Rettenbacher from the, the store that worked fine was good, but he said, uh, you haven't lived until you've tried heirloom, heirloom popcorn, Appalachian heirloom, sweet Flint popping corn okay. by Anson Mills. So I'm a popcorn nut and based Purely on Chris's email, I blindly bought this stuff. <laughs> I got one email about it from Chris. And he's like, you got to have it. It's the best popcorn you've ever had. It's amazing. You're just going to blow your mind. You're going to get so many emails now. <laughs> I know. I know. Well, hey, so be it, dude. If if that's if that's where my money's going to go, that's where my money's going to go. I, I will gladly throw it down the popcorn hole. Um, cornhole? I guess cornhole would have been a better. Anyway, um, I blindly bought this stuff. It was it was not that expensive, but shipping was like thirty bucks, <laughs> so it ended up being pretty expensive. So I ended up spending like fifty bucks on popcorn. It was like it was like four ninety nine. I was like, oh, that's no problem. Four ninety nine. Like, it's like we won't let you buy unless you buy five of them. Oh, I have to buy five of them. Okay, I guess that's not too bad. Uh, and shipping is thirty dollars. <laughs> I was like, oh, now I'm pot committed. Anyway. Um, so I tried is Anson Mills Appalachian Heirloom Sweet Flint Popping Corn that they say is like it, they it's back to the land um uh, you know it's uh kernels before there was GMO before there it's like what they the you know Native Americans had when they it's like the stuff right when carrots were still purple and the you know, soil was still pure yes yes. Uh, I don't know how they did. It. I literally just blind bought this stuff. It's pretty good. It's pretty good. I like. I love that for it's pretty yeah, good. It's pretty good. I <laughs> if you handed it to me and like told me it was just Orville Rettenbacher, I'm not so sure I would not tell you that. That's fine. <laughs> I'm not sure I would be like, what? This doesn't taste like Orville Rettenbacher. I probably would believe you, but it's also pretty good. Okay. Uh, so thanks, Chris. I guess uh, fifty dollars for uh, pretty good. Uh, no, it's, it's, I mean, it's tasty. It's tasty, but like, I love all popcorn. So I'm not, it's not like, I don't know. It didn't knock me over. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I'm going to buy more of it, but it was an experience that I wanted to tell everybody about. So there you go. <laughs>
Uh, all right, that's going to do it for this episode of DLC. Uh, thanks again to Olivia Grace and Christian Spicer for hanging out with me. Thanks to the folks in our chat room for hanging out with us in real time and adding to the show. We appreciate you. Thanks to our musical contributors, Patrick L., Sean Madigan, and Zero Star for those cool bumpers. Uh, thank you to all of you who download the show and listen. We appreciate you. Uh, we will be back next week. Until then, think about what you put out into the world. Make it a better place.